Welcome to episode 128 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, pal Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek, it's better than Fates, Heemsbergen. Yeah, or Derek, maybe Derek Alms for the Poor, Heemsbergen, works for me too. <laughs> I, I, I don't Because the I main character's it. name is Alm. Oh, okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about some Fire Emblem, and I have questions, so that's first okay. up on the desk. I'm ready. Uh, and then, I, I, ladies and gentlemen, we are very pleased... He's back. <laughs> very special guest in the we house. Do, we have a very special guest. He's decided to join us again, probably just to pester me uh, and make my life miserable and disagree with everything I have to say. Stephen Meyerink, everybody. Yes, formerly Taylor's on the boards, now meme king and censorship lord of translating. <laughs> uh, I, he's I'm going to censor all of your games. He's the reason you don't get any anime boobs. That's um, right. No more anime boobs. Oh I said no. Can we not start with this? <laughs> the vagina <laughs> bones have been taken away. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, I, how I, you doing? I don't have that kind of power. I'm doing great. I, I wanted to talk about E3, and I was like, what better way than to enjoy it the way I have in the past with you guys? So I, I, be- I begged you to let me come on the show, and after humiliating me you allowed it so oh I, I wasn't too bad i just this is gonna be a funny three like it did not feel the same not having you there derek i love you you are my nap buddy okay but i i missed my steven okay mm-hmm. so this year steven you just kind of get to walk around with us at e3 and just do whatever the hell you want which must be must be delightfully freeing <laughs> it's it's pretty great i mean not that not that i feel like we ever had a ton of work to do i mean we had work to do and coverage and stuff uh but you know it's it's nice to you know going as somebody who's trying to like work in the industry or is, I guess um, it's a different kind of thing. Cause now it's like, I have to make all these like coffee dates and like go talk to people who like do what I do or who do what I want to do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but it's a lot, of, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like I, I'd say it feels less rigid, but it's not like we ever had to work, you know, painfully hard, except, you know, on the last <clears throat> night when we well. blew off all our work and had to do it at the last minute. <laughs> hey, the term labor of love applies very much here. Uh, we yes. go to three because we we care about the games that we're seeing. We care about the people in the industry. We care about each other at the site. So it's as Absolutely. much an opportunity to bond as it is to get work done. So that's why it doesn't really feel so much like work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's sort of the thing. That's what I've been telling people is that like, yeah, I get to go and I don't have to technically do any writing work, but I still get to hang out with you guys, which is great. So it's all the parts I liked minus the work. <laughs> See the writing, I the, the writing I genuinely enjoy. Like there yeah, there's something. There was something pretty amazing about the first article I ever wrote about E3 was when, when I saw Bloodborne and I like lost my mind. And then we went to Witcher 3 and they gave me beer at 10 o'clock in the morning. Sorry, was... you left out the part where you screamed in my ear when you saw Bloodborne. <laughs> and I, I had a ringing noise in my head for like an hour. That That is true. That happened. Uh, and, and now, now Stephen, I am going to warn you, if you're going to coffee dates and stuff, just be careful of that Square Enix coffee. Because Jesus Christ, last year... That that was something else. Like I thought I was having heart palpitations. I don't know what the hell they put into their coffee, but they was like 
pure cocaine or something. And I'm just looking at Derek hey, like, I don't hey, know what's I, going on. <laughs> I'm under NDA. I'm not at liberty to discuss coffee. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about the games that we're playing right now. And then we're going to switch into the E3 talk because there's a lot of stuff to get really, really excited about right now. Uh, I'm personally excited if I get the opportunity to see whatever Miyazaki-san is working on over at From Software and get to shake his hand and see if once again, if he tries to take me into some nether region of my own soul. Uh, very, very nice when I it, very, very nice when I did get to meet him. So uh, let's talk about Fire Emblem. Now, now, Derek, right before the show, the first thing out of your mouth was you love this Fire Emblem. And my question to you is the internet does not seem to be as thrilled with it as you are. So what, what the hell's going on here? Like, not uh, to put you on the spot. I just know what's going on. Here. They, I, I feel like what I've seen, though, is is maybe, like, people are saying, okay, we've had, this is enough Fire Emblem on the 3DS, and it's fine, but whatever. Because for me, like, I think the differences in this Fire Emblem are um, a little bit more subtle in that it's not like a 100% reinvention of what Fire Emblem is, but Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia is... It's a remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden, which, if I'm not mistaken, was like the second Fire Emblem game. Yeah, uh, I think so. Back. So, so this isn't, you know, an entirely new story and cast. What it is is like a re-envisioning of uh, of an older game. And for that, or to that end, it's sort of it has like a retro flavor to it. It it doesn't feel like Awakening and Fates in a lot of ways because they're directly taking elements from the old Fire Emblem Gaiden and trying to sort of modernize them a bit. So you don't have the weapon triangle anymore. You don't have um, the relationship oh. aspect where you can uh, have, you know, marry people off and have babies. You don't have pairing units into single squares where you have two people occupying one space. Like all of that is gone. So for me, it feels a lot more streamlined. It's sort of like a distilled Fire Emblem experience that reminds me of the Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem games, which are the ones that I fell in love with. Likewise. Those had they had the the weapon triangle as far as I remember, but uh, in this one it's it's and you don't have weapon durability anymore in this one either. Um, every character has one equipment slot, and like if if it's a swordsman, say you can send them in a battle with nothing equipped, and they still have like a generic sword on their character. But if you get them a better sword, then they'll um, like gain mastery over that particular weapon and unlock more abilities with it. But so anyway, so Fire Emblem uh, Echoes, I feel it, it's much more to my tastes because it feels retro and and. But like an updated retro, not a needlessly tedious or frustrating retro. Um, so these are these are the main reasons why I think Echoes is fantastic. It suits my taste because it doesn't it doesn't have that unnecessarily. Well, I think it's unnecessary complexity with um, with pairing off all the characters because what you end up getting is a lot of options for how you can make characters interact with one another, but very little depth to any of those interactions. I, I always found it very superfluous and I wasn't a fan of it uh, because the writing was not good. I absolutely agree, especially yeah. in Fates. Yes, I think Fates was by far the worst offender. Awakening was, you know, it was what it was. It was fine. But I think Fates really went down that rabbit hole of like, how can we pander to every specific type of fetish out there? Or not just <laughs> fetish, like sexual fetish, but it was like, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not discounting. Sexual, sexual fetishes or whatever like it's it's just like it every character seemed like they had a specific target and for that reason i couldn't really connect with many of them because it was like that it just felt like none of it was for me and that's fine they don't have to be for me but anyway i think the main thing was how shallow a lot of the characters and the interactions between those characters felt so fire emblem echoes was handled by a different localization team i think it was it was eight four who did this one yes. and 
it, I mean, it is night and day difference. The quality of the writing shines through in the smallest of interactions in this game, and they don't feel inauthentic. Because in Fates, I felt like so many of the, the conversations that people had were just like stupid slapstick without any sort of nuance whatsoever and like no comedic timing or no understanding of how actual human beings talk. <laughs> Echoes really does a great job of making the characters for as relatively shallow as they can be they feel so much more alive because they just have real conversations with one another like even the voice direction is fantastic and i think a lot of it has to do with the writing in the game Mm. so it just makes such a big difference when the team who's doing the localization and the editing like has a better grasp of how human beings actually communicate Um, yeah i actually it's interesting too because eight four handled awakening so i think it's also just like Maybe it's just the like the development team, like what they chose to go with. Because I think I, I can't recall exactly. I don't know who handled Fates, but it wasn't eight four. But I think eight four handled um, Awakening and this one. So like, it's so interesting to see like the difference in style and like because that's what I've heard, what you're saying is what I've heard a lot too, and sort of why I'm interested in it because I just you know the the pairing and supports I, I found like I'm glad people enjoyed that and I wouldn't want that taken away necessarily. But I got, I really got into the series with the two GameCube ones, which were disgustingly, unbalancedly difficult at times. But, like, I thought that that game had really good, like, character relationships and writing and stuff, Yeah. too. So, you know, that's what excites me about this one. Yeah, it's one of the, the points that I, I heard somebody say on Twitter, and I, I apologize because it was just, it was somebody in my Twitter feed, I don't remember who said it, but... Uh... It was something along the lines of Fire Emblem Echoes does a good job of making you invested in the characters in its story because you start with many of them as childhood friends and you you have a sh- sort of sort of short sequence at the beginning a la Tales of Grace's F but not nearly as long where you have the characters all playing as kids and there's like your first battle is them as kids and uh, oh, that's cute yeah and so when they grow up it's like okay these people have known each other for a while and you as the player already have a little bit of attachment to them and they all start out as a base villager class and in Fire Emblem Echoes, instead of needing to get those specific items to promote units, it's sort of uh, once each character reaches a certain level, which in this case, it's like two or three, something very low, each character can be promoted into one of several classes. That oh, depends cool. on the character. There's like one character, uh, she has like cavalier, knight, priestess, and something else, or cleric rather, and something else available to her. Whereas another guy has like cavalier, knight, archer available to him. So if you want, you can choose how your initial loadout uh is set up because each character has a lot of branches in their character promotion path and you don't have to worry about getting the right item to do it. Um, So it it makes it, so what I'm trying to say is like you start out with characters who you're already somewhat attached to because of the storyline and then you get to sort of mold them the way that you want to. Um, So your army feels a lot more personalized as a result in the very beginning. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask you, I don't know if you're far enough. Isn't it smaller cast-wise than the last two entries as well? It Yes, and it, does, it seems like it's so far. Well, especially because Fates had three storylines worth of characters. Right. right. So this this one has... There are two protagonists in this game, Alma and Selica, but you don't have to choose who you play as. It, the game alternates between them. Uh, so each character has their own army, but those, those respective armies are still smaller than anything you would have seen in Fates per character. I see. Path. So yeah, interesting. It sounds a lot like, honestly, to me, Shining Force. Yes, I do get. Like I said, I got very much a retro vibe from the game, so it does feel like the older Fire Emblems, or maybe something like Shining Force, or maybe even like Ark the Lad, the first one, a little bit. Oh man, um, it's 
I just really enjoy the direction that they went in. And there's just so much more authenticity to the interactions. And I don't feel like they've lost anything by getting rid of it. Surprisingly, the weapon triangle being gone, I don't feel like that ruins or breaks the game or takes away all the nuance. Because at first I was like, well, if any character can, if any weapon can beat any other weapon, technically, what's the difference? But it's more like you're looking at um, the reach of different weapons or how far a certain unit can move. I and see. Then course, and then the different units do have things like, like if you give a character, a swordsman character, uh, say a, an iron sword, after using it for a while, they might get an ability that lets them hit a little bit harder, and the trade-off is like they have to spend two HP to do it or something like that. So there are still different nuances to all of the weapon types depending on the characters that use them, but it's not so profound. It's like, oh, well, here's a, an axe person going up against a lance person, and there's no way the lance person can win. Because mm-hmm. I always felt frustrated by that. Like, it just made me feel like... I guess there's a good balance to it, and I'm not discounting the system as a whole. I get that it's to a lot of people's taste, but it just wasn't to my taste as much. So this one works better for me. And um, another extension of that is I worried that maybe the difficulty would suffer, like it would be too easy to plow through or whatever. Um, And what I really appreciate in this one is that they retain options for you can either do classic or casual, so you can have permadeath on or off, and then there's a normal and a hard difficulty. Now, what I think this one does incredibly well is even if you have classic and you want permadeath on, like a lot of Fire Emblem players are used to and appreciate, you have a mechanic called Mila's Turnwheel. Mila is a goddess um, in the fire, in this universe uh, who uh, the, the two main characters have access to like this artifact called Mila's Turnwheel. And what it lets you do is rewind time a certain number of turns a la Tactics Ogre Let Us Claim Together. Mm-hmm. You have a limited number of uses per battle. So when you start the game, you can only use it like three times total. I think you can rewind as far as you want, but you can only use it a total of three times per battle. So if oh, you want to play cool. in classic, and still have the challenge of you know not wanting to let one character die. That's fine. But what that terminal does is eliminates that annoying, like that sort of barrier of if I make one mistake, I have to restart the entire battle. Right. It's a lot more forgiving while still, you know, it doesn't eliminate any of the challenge because you still have to be on your toes and think strategically. But it just removes yeah. the punishment of dying. Well, yeah, well, it sounds like it's that's a great way of acknowledging what some consider a design flaw. Because like my big thing with Fire Emblem was I basically save scum the game because I don't want to play on. I, I like playing on classic mode, but I always do restart when someone dies. So this essentially turns it into a gameplay mechanic by making it a resource, which yeah. sounds awesome. It's like, oh yeah, I messed up, but I can go back and do this instead. But then I won't have it later. Say if I get to the boss or the guy guarding the wall, and then he one shot somebody. You know that sounds really cool. Yeah, and as you as you progress through the game, you can get uh, you find these cogs for the turn wheel uh, scattered throughout areas that that give you extra turns. So right now, I can use it like six or seven times per battle, whereas I only started with three uses. So it encourages you to explore as well, which brings me to the final uh, change in this game that makes it so different from the previous ones. There are dungeons with full three yeah. D exploration. Uh, so you actually you, you control all Marcelica, one of the two main characters, and you actually walk through a little dungeon where you can slash your sword and there are like, you can break barrels to find items. There are hidden paths to find. And none of these are especially long, but there are enemies within them. And if you, you hit an enemy or and bump into one, it brings you into, you know, the typical fire emblem tactical battle, but they're on a much smaller scale. Like you might only have, you know, three to six enemies instead of an entire army to fight. So what this is doing is, is giving you the sort of, the freedom to explore and make the, which makes this world seem bigger in turn, as far as I'm concerned, while yeah. also retaining the gameplay. That's, that's another thing that really had me wanting to play this is again, like 
having played lots of Shining Force, they didn't necessarily have dungeons, but they did have, like, explorable areas that could spark a battle. And, mm-hmm. like, this idea of having, like, a 3D dungeon, but then cool, like, turn-based battle, or, like, you know, strategy battles sounds really great. It, you know, it's sort of like with, uh, what's the mobile one called? Heroes. Heroes, I felt like the battles didn't really have any strategy to speak of. It was just sort of like, here's three units now. Hit each other until you grind and get your next gotcha to get your waifu. And like this one, it's like, are are the, are the randomized battles, do they feel a little bit strategic or is it, is it more like Um, you can definitely each other? If you're playing on classic, your units can absolutely still die in them. Hmm. Um, I mean, cause I've, I've had, I've been careless in some of those. I'm playing on casual mode for this one. I've, I've had some battles though, where I've been careless and I've seen characters die and I was like, Oh, I'm glad I wasn't on classic. Uh, Or I I guess I could have just used the terminal, right. To go back in time. Um, but yeah, like it's not that. I mean, they're going to be easier. The bat- the ones that you find in the dungeon are generally going to be easier than a full scale battle, just because they're so much smaller. But yeah, you can still there's still some challenge in them. Um, and, and I think that's important with these turn based uh, strategy RPGs. Like you want the big combat encounters because they can feel really epic, but at the same time, you don't want them to go on for hours and hours and hours. You and they make a mistake. Yeah, like I. I, I I apologize because Steven, I swear to God, I'm not doing this to you just because you're on the show and I know the listeners are going to get mad at me, but like that goddamn tank in Valkyria Chronicles, like that, <laughs> like that fight is so long and so in depth that every time it's gone wrong, that's made me stop playing the game. And so to kind of give you these smaller combat encounters, but still giving you the best part of Fire Emblem, which is, you know, that really awesome strategic gameplay, but maybe not making it take so damn long is really good. And it's one of the reasons I got out of pen and paper RPGs a long time ago. I hated the fact that my buddies were always about, let's have these big epic combat encounters. We do maybe one of those every night. And then we would be done. Like we'd spend three hours on one combat encounter against like 30 kobolds. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Like you're going to play with us, man. Like I want story. Damn it. Like I don't want to be attacking these things all day. So, and that's where I think Fire Emblem Echoes succeeds is, is, is on two fronts. One by creating smaller encounters where you can still enjoy the tactical gameplay. And two, by giving you a safety net in the middle of turn wheel for the larger encounters so that yeah. one mistake doesn't cost you two damn hours of progress. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like the, the tactics ogre guys built that into let us playing together. Like you're saying, Derek, and I really thought that that was going to revolutionize the genre and give us way more of those kinds of games to make it just, just forgiving enough to invite new players in and something you can completely ignore if you consider yourself, you know, super hardcore and you want to have that old school experience, but then it just never went anywhere. And as I'm looking at my switch every day, I'm just like final fantasy tactics on the switch. Why? <laughs> like, please. Like if yes. you do that, if you do that, I'm going to lose my job. Like now, that's what's going to happen. Like let, let, let's hope we can all lose our job together on an FF tactics on switch square Enix, please. Um, yeah, please, please. It's, kind please. Of, it's actually kind of funny that we're talking about this mechanic. I hope this isn't getting off topic too much, but I feel like I'm flashing back to like seven years ago when I was first on this podcast and John was still on it. And John was like, yeah, I just don't have the time to waste two hours. And I was like, Pfft. I love it when things take forever. If you die, that's your punishment. Now I'm like, oh God, screw that. No. I've been telling you that for years, and you don't like, listen don't, to me. I'm like, I don't have. I, uh, if I if I die once, I'm done for a month. Yeah, like I, I mean, I died, it, I died once in Near Automata, which is, and I was just like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I have to replay five minutes. 
<laughs> now, now you understand what it's like to be playing a Souls-like game for review and have something go wrong. You understand my rage now. I straight so- up just don't play Souls-like right now because I just <laughs> I can't sit down for like enough time to get competent enough to not get murdered every time I walk into a room. Well, yeah, I think that there are still there's still a place for those kinds of games, and people still enjoy being able to really surmount a difficult challenge that has yeah. high, a high level of punishment. But I mean, for me, I think for all three of us at this point, um, the kinds of games where you can still experience that challenge without that same level of punishment are ideal. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I like the, I love the challenge. I just don't like the time wasty element. Like, yeah. You, you want know, to be yeah, pushed there's nothing to the worse than being, than being uh, spending hours and hours on one thing just to have it blow up in your face and be like, well, that's three hours of my life. I'll never get back. Like, it well, just right. Like, well, well, like the best example, I, I don't, I guess it's, I guess it's past statute of limitations, but Persona 4, when you first fight the person you think is the killer and you catch mm-hmm. them at the end of their dungeon and it's like it plays a different battle theme and it's like, especially in Maniac mode or whatever, it's like a two-hour fight and if you make a mistake at the end when he starts getting like 15 turns, it's like, well, all right, you're going to redo this two-hour battle. I'm like, nah, no, I'm not. Yeah, that was, that was the thing with the final boss of Persona 3, like watching people say, yeah, if he like makes one of your party members heal him, it'll be 6,000 heal, and then you have to basically start the whole fight over again. And I said, yeah, if that happened, I would not have finished that game. Like, nope, not going to do that. That's that's also the the interesting thing, and again, I'm glad to have Steven back on the show because we get to talk about how amazing Resident Evil 7 is. The, <laughs> the, the difference between, like, Alien Isolation's view of horror of, like, oh, we're going to auto-kill you every time you do something wrong versus Resident Evil 7's, like, give and take and, like, how good it feels to be pushed to the brink but not over the edge to a game over. That's where the sweet spot is, I think, in a lot of gaming. Be challenging enough to make me feel like I'm overcoming something but not something that I'm smashing my face against over and over again. Yeah, my favorite part of Resident Evil 7 are the RPG elements. No. Um, I'm I'm with, I'm with you though. I think, and I, I I like to see that kind of balance in a lot of games, but like where Resident Evil seven, like when you're being chased, it always feels like you're just barely pulling it off. Like, even if you have a ton of items, it's still like, you know, you don't know where they are. You don't know what the extent of their AI can do, you know? So it feels challenging, but also like, if you die, it's not like, well, redo an hour, you know, it's just like, yeah, you died, you know, started this sequence or whatever. I mean, Derek, you definitely turned me on to the new Fire Emblem. And, and all I was bringing up at the start of the conversation was, like, I was a little surprised to see the scores, like, hovering around 7s and 8s instead of, like, the 9s and 10s that Fates got. But I, it almost feels you know, like it almost feels like then people started to go, well, Fates isn't all that great. You know? Just based, well, I, I hope just based on Derek's reaction, I think I'm going to agree with him. Yeah, I, I think that it's not... Um... As, as always, you know, every review that we give is going to be subjective, right? Because it's impossible sure. to remove subjectivity from reviews. But but I, for me, it's just, like, more to my tastes. I just like, I like the removal of the mechanics that I wasn't a fan of or that I found superfluous. I think that the level of challenge is better. And I think that the writing makes me more invested. Like, I, the last yeah. several Fire Emblem games, I remember being very excited for Fates before it came out. Because I liked the idea of having two opposing viewpoints. And I was like, that's so cool. I want to see, you know, because I'm sure each side has their own motivations and I want to see where it goes. But it just felt so damn, like, it's so juvenile because the evil, you know, Conquest is just like, I'm sure the evil emperor with a literal goddamn shadow of blackness around him isn't really evil, <laughs> right, guys? Like, are yeah, you I'm kidding sure me? Fine. And so 
there there was just no actual depth to be found there, and I didn't find any of the characters to be likable. Well, that's very harsh, but like I didn't find many characters to be likable or believable. So Echoes for me corrects those issues by giving me characters that I can relate to better, and I'm legitimately interest, interested in where the story's going, even though I think overall it's not going to be that uh, surprising or revelatory, but it's still like if if I care about what's happening in the moment to moment and each character, like I I like the support conversations in this game, which were never a thing for me in the last couple Fire Emblem games. When you get characters, because characters will get like affinity up when they're sort of near each other, they don't have to be within one space, but uh, you can still talk to each other in battle and they'll still get an affinity up. And so far, I haven't really found any use for that beyond um, just flavor text. But I do it when it's available and it's cool and the characters are fun and like. Yeah, well, well, you know, it doesn't have to be this revolutionary plot of, like, I've never seen this before. You know, I feel like this game's review scores are, to me, they indicated two things. One is that a lot of people started the series with Awakening and Fates and did not yeah. like the, the basically going backwards into older versions of the game, which is why I think this one's more polarizing, because the series mm-hmm. was polarizing before that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Isn't it weird to think that, like, Fire Emblem uh, Awakening was sort of a last-ditch, like... Will people still like Fire Emblem? I don't know. Let's try. And then now it's yeah. really popular. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like this is sort of, in part, you know, a concession to people who were fans of the older style. And yeah. also, you know, I just feel like, um, you know, this tight-knit group of people where it's not like choose who you want to pair off and that sort of thing. It's like we have this one story we want to tell, and that is more limited in scope. But it also feels a little, it sounds like it feels a little more like they're trying to say something with your cast and with the, the plot line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just a little bit more. Um, the, the cast feels a little bit more intimate, even though there aren't as many characters leading the action. I still care about them more. Also, I already said this, but like, seriously, the voice acting is so much better in this than any previous Fire Emblem game I've played. Holy crap. I've I, been I hearing a lot major about kudos, that. Major kudos to the voice director and the voice cast for that game. So, yeah, I, I think if you weren't as uh, enamored with some of the, the newer systems in Fire Emblem Awakening or Fates, or you thought that the story wasn't quite there for you, that Echoes is going to be right up your alley. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to pick it up before E3 so I have something on these million flights. I really yeah. do recommend it. Yeah, I really uh, think it's great. I, I guess we're all bringing our Switches to just play Mario Kart, drunken Mario Kart all day. <sighs> we really should. should. Like, li- listen, I have discovered, so my my partner Miyoko is not especially ragey, not given to video game rage. Uh, <laughs> I am slightly less given to video game rage, and I don't think I've ever been, like, the two of us as a unit, I don't think we've ever been more full of salt and hate than when we're playing Mario Kart. Not towards each other, but just, like, I'm like, I love this game. Oh, I got hit by five rage shells at the end. This game is, this game is, I was bad. Say bad, say bad <laughs> words, but it's just like, oh, look at that. I was in first the entire race, and then all of a sudden I got hit by three lightning bolts and four red shells, and I'm in 13th. That sounds like balance. And, but then yeah. I'm like, let's play, let's play another one. Oh, my God, I need it. Let's do it again. So, uh, so I guess the only quick hits that I really have are uh, I, I was on review for two games in quick succession. I finished up Prey, which was very, very good. Really enjoyed that. Uh, had some technical issues here and there. Um, I, I didn't run into the save bug that made the internet kind of melt, thankfully. Uh, but I did have kind of an, an uncomfortable number of crashes to the desktop, which kind of sucked. Uh, really enjoyed that game. I totally understand why some people don't like the ending, and there's maybe one or two things that I would have changed, but 
that game does some subtle things with storytelling that I really, really like. And I, I think it's, it's kind of that cool stuff that can only be done in a video game. Like we talked about with VLR and nine, nine, nine. I really, really like that stuff. So it's, it's definitely worth playing. I, I think that, that, you know, we're probably going to talk a little bit about Bethesda here in a couple minutes as we move into the E3 talk, but I think that that game was done a disservice by people trying to plow through it real fast. I think that was very damaging for it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not super far. I have about I have about you know six or seven hours on it, but I play everything really slowly. Um, and you know, I have to look at absolutely everything. And I feel like that's the strength of the game is all these like details. And that like I find it what I find really engaging about it is that they have it's like they had this flow chart of everybody on board the ship. Yeah what department they worked in, what they did, and their interpersonal relationships. And so, like, when you go from department to department, A, you can track where every person is on the ship, even if they're dead, and find, like, clues to their last moments and what happened to them, or in some cases, if they're alive. You can read emails, and, like, you, you put together this, like, really, really interesting web of all these stories that were happening there that I feel like if I were just trying to rush through this, which, again, I think Bethesda is doing themselves a disservice. We, we talked about this before the show. I think they got a false positive with Doom because they showed off the multiplayer before it came out. And then it was like, see, we, were, we actually were hurt by the pre-release coverage. I think that's false positive. I think they're doing more damage not having ample pre-release coverage of games like Prey, where you really need to be able to sit down and not feel like you have a time limit. Just like poke around, mess with the options, like press buttons, look through hallways. Like I really feel like it is, you know, as a spiritual successor or whatever to System Shock, it is very important that you engage with the space station as a character itself. Mm -hmm. And when you are just rushing through trying to shoot all the enemies, which, you know, it's not a, like, fast-paced, hardcore shooter. You can level up your gun, but it's essentially just to make combat over faster. Um, You know, I really do feel like I agree with you that I think, A, they were hurt by not having pre-release coverage, and B, it is the kind of game you really need to, like, sit down and take your time with and explore as opposed to you know rush to whatever the objective is because i actually feel like the game is pretty loose in terms of giving an objective it's like yeah go do this thing and i'm like yeah i'm gonna go look at these 10 different areas that i've unlocked keys to because i opened some guy's drawer and found a key to somewhere else in the station and then i went in there and found this optional area and this whole backstory of people doing this and then i found a code for a safe somewhere else you know so definitely it's 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 i think it's a slow burn game that is not served by a rushed experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And we, we talked a little bit about how um, the two leads for Dishonored 1, Raphael and Harvey Smith, they, they kind of went their separate ways. One went to work on Dishonored 2. Harvey Smith went to work on Dishonored 2. Raphael went to work on Prey. It kind of feels like I think those two were evening each other out a little bit on Dishonored 1. So, like, Dishonored 1 had a solid story, solid locations, really awesome gameplay dishonored two has pretty good gameplay maybe maybe a little stale for my taste compared to the original but like all the storytelling and atmosphere was kind of gone like i think harvey smith was way more focused on just gameplay systems and meanwhile prey you know 
I don't think Prey is the best playing game I've ever played, and like sometimes the stealth seems a little scattershot. It doesn't seem as gameplay focused, but the world and atmosphere of Talos One way, way more interesting than anything in Dishonored One or Dishonored Two, and I think that's really playing to that game's strength. So I kind of wonder what happens if those two decide to come back together for another game. Um, I'll be a little disappointed if Arcane finds himself in some trouble. I know Dishonored Two didn't sell as well as people were anticipating, and I think Prey kind of got nailed a little bit the way Steven's talking about in terms of reviews. But these are two really interesting games that are still doing something that we don't see a whole lot out of. There's a couple like Underworld Ascendant and System Shock Three are around the corner, probably like two to three years down the road. But like th- those immersive sim games are still around. But we saw with like Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. I don't know if people really want those kinds of games right now. Like if, if you had asked me how Deus Ex Mankind Divided was going to do after Human Revolution, I would have assumed that that game would have been a breakout hit and Square Enix was pretty disappointed with the sales and not disappointed in the way they were about the original Tomb Raider a few years ago. I really don't know what gamers want right now or if maybe those games were so similar to previous titles that you know, people weren't interested. I don't know. Like that, there are moments in this industry right now where I'm like, I don't know what the hell people want. I, and, I was, yeah, I was pretty surprised by, I, I wouldn't, let me rephrase that. I, I don't think I was surprised by Deus Ex because I really liked the first one and felt very like invested in its development. And like when it came out and I mean, obviously I got to go to the studio and try it before it came out. So that could be part of the reason, but also I liked the original game. Um, the original Deus Ex, not uh, human revolution. And, uh, you know, I, I every time I tried to play Mankind Divided, I was just sort of like over it. Like I just didn't care. And I was like, all right, I you know, I've played this, I have my upgrades, I'm gonna get more upgrades, I'm gonna move dumpsters to go into vents, and then I'm gonna non-lethal people. Um, I don't know. I, I felt the same way I did about Dishonored 2, where I just started it and I'm like, this is a technically better game than the prequel, but I'm just sort of not finding it as novel. And I think that might be it, is that it's just a you know, it's not like when they went from Deus Ex to Deus Ex uh, Invisible, Invisible War, yeah, where they yeah, tried yeah. to where they tried to reinvent it, and you know, many would argue broke it. Um, it just felt like they were like, "All right, we had something that worked. Let's tighten it up." And I think that's interesting, but it it wasn't novel, and I think that's why it didn't grab me as much. And I'm wondering if that is maybe an indication that you know of that you know you always hear like, "Do you need to annualize your series?" Not that Deus Ex was anywhere near annualized, but you know, in some cases, you don't really need a sequel. Um, I don't know if I feel that way. Maybe a different game would have excited me more. But yeah, I just every time I tried to start Mankind, Mankind Divided, I was just like, eh. So, so you kind of agreed with me that Prey grabbed you a little bit more than Dishonored 2 did, even though in a lot of ways, I think Dishonored 2 is maybe technically a better playing game in a lot of ways. But Prey is just more enticing. Well, to be fair, I think it's also that we have not had a real System Shock follow-up. Bi- yeah. You know, yeah. I know people like the original Bioshock, and I like it to an extent, but Bioshock is a first-person shooter. Like, yeah. no matter what anyone argues, the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite are not RPGs. They are not the same kind of game as System Shock. They have, they have atmospheric similarities and, like, tonal similarities in some ways, but, you know, it was always like, oh, this is an interesting fantasy sci-fi first-person shooter whereas prey is an rpg that is very much like system shock and so you had the benefit with prey of being like i haven't played a game like this in a while whereas with dishonored 2 i'm like i loved the first one but i played it two years ago you know so or however many years the first one came out so i was like all right i 
I kind of know what's coming and I'm not as excited because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to teleport on top of stuff and mess with the AI and, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas with Prey, I think also they do a great job setting up a weird mystery at first um, and putting a lot of pieces at play. Because um, mm-hmm. that whole intro is is weird and foreboding, but like, you know, you think you figure it out and then all, all this other weird stuff is happening. And like, I, I don't know how it pans out mystery wise, but I found that it grabbed me from the get go a little better, even though the gameplay doesn't really pick up. I feel like until you start getting further into the station and understanding how it connects and like the, the interpersonal thing and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a long way to say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think Prey is a little better at grabbing me anyway. Yeah. So I moved on from Prey to The Surge, which I'll only talk about for a few minutes. Uh, The Surge is the next game from Deck 13, the guys who made Lords of the Fallen, which I really, I really, really didn't like that game very much. Uh, Lords of the Fallen was basically their Dark Souls-like dark fantasy game that was just clunky as hell. Um, Some people really liked it when it came out, and now you start seeing the internet kind of turning their back on it a little bit and saying, well, you know, it was kind of a new game for the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One. It looked pretty, but it wasn't really all that fun. The Surge, by being kind of a sci-fi Souls game, it kind of does everything that Lords of the Fallen did. It did, it does almost everything better, like to have this uh, dismemberment combat work so well where you can target specific body parts on enemies. That actually became kind of the best part of the whole game. It's like, well, I could target the unarmored pieces of this enemy in order to take them out faster to stun lock them and, and get them done real quick. Or I can target the armored pieces, which are going to leave me more open, but give me the opportunity to harvest resources from the enemies. That's actually a really cool give and take in combat that I was kind of digging on a little bit. You're not relying on like, oh, I need this enemy to drop another Titanite shard so I can upgrade my weapon. So I'm going to go out and kill like 10 of them and just pray to God that I get a random loot drop. This was actually pretty neat. And I, I think the game made a very strong first impression because the first area in the game is the best designed. It, it is very different. It's very evocative of this kind of dark dystopian future that they're going for. And then the game's biggest problem kind of happens, which is all of these Souls-like games, and Stephen, you and I were texting each other back and forth on this, all of these Souls-like games are missing the number one thing that I play a Souls game for, which is exploration and level design. Yeah. And, like, Neo had this problem where its level design was pretty terrible. Like, there were some levels that were okay, but a lot of them were very, very repetitive and just didn't feel like living, breathing worlds. Again, that's kind of one of the reasons why I think Prey grabbed me so much is that Talos 1 feels like a living environment. So... Go ahead, go ahead. I I was going to say, do you think it's the issue with the Souls-likes? Because I actually would argue it's an issue with games as a whole not prioritize... not, Not every game doesn't prioritize level design, but like you see it a lot with smaller indie games that focus very heavily on a great set of mechanics. Mm-hmm. And they either have procedurally generated levels, which isn't necessarily bad. That can work for some games, like Dead Cells, which is awesome. Um, Dead Cells is awesome. But Or, you know, they, they don't prioritize building a level that's compelling to walk through. So even though you have this cool set of mechanics, you don't have a playground that's taking advantage of it. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's a big issue with a lot of, like, Metroidvania games, um, where, you know, they don't quite get the way that these areas should connect. Or, like, you know, you have the Souls follow-ups that are, like, you know, what's so compelling about Dark Souls, it's not just like, oh, I fought a really hard boss and got a cool sword. It's like, no, I went down a weird hallway and 
fought some weird, unique enemy, and then I found a doorway that led me somewhere, you know, that gets me somewhere else 20 minutes faster. Yeah, and speaking as somebody who doesn't have much fondness for the series in general, I think atmosphere is the thing that it nails the most. Yeah. I mean, of course, challenge, but, like, what what made me even want to try those games in the first place was I thought, oh, my God, these seem really interesting from an environmental design or atmosphere's perspective. So Yeah, yeah that, that, was the same, that was the same thing that grabbed me. Like, before Demon Souls came out, like, I was watching those YouTube videos because that was, like, the beginning of streaming video games. And this was a game that uh, was available to everybody because the PlayStation 3 wasn't region locked. And I remember just looking at these environments, and I was like, this feels like a 3D castle. And, like... Going back to the PlayStation 2 days, they couldn't really do that without lots and lots of loading screens and chopping up the levels. That was the biggest revelation for me when it came to Demon Souls and then later with Dark Souls when, like Steven said, you go down a weird path and you end up in an entirely new area, a new level, you're fighting new things. The Surge just so... It's so flat lines in this regard. And like these, it part of it's the art design. Like they went for this industrial look, you know, trying to be evocative of like the original alien movie in a lot of ways, but like nothing there, there's no key landmarks that make you feel good. This, the shortcuts don't make any sense. Like, why does this lead me back here? Like this, this feels bizarre. They put lifts as kind of their ladder stand in and they just seem to circle and double back on each other. You're constantly going through these very poorly lit hallway environments that they just use as connective tissue. They might as well be like the CD loading screens from Castlevania symphony of the night. It just feels really, really bad. And and I'm, I'm actually happy. I just brought up Castlevania because not only because we're going to talk about that Netflix trailer here in about 30 seconds, but also because like, I think some of the Castlevania games got that wrong a little bit. Like I was playing, um, what? Let me open up the drawer real quick. Uh, Portrait of Ruin. I, I brought that up on like a podcast or two ago, and I don't think Portrait of Ruin's level design was nearly as good as Dawn of Sorrow. And so I did start to get a little bored with it. You know, it's not enough to have these Metroidvania-style environments with interconnectedness. Oh, portrait. Oh, sorry for some reason you said Portrait of Ruin, and I thought you said. Order of Ecclesia, and I was going to disagree, but no, no I, Order I of Ecclesia is amazing. Uh, we had Fenner on here, and he disagreed with us, but we, we kicked him off the show. He's not allowed back on anymore. But, yeah, <laughs> we will not have anyone speaking ill about Order, Order of Ecclesia. <laughs> but, like, I, I think it's not enough to have this interconnected world. You have to fill it with interesting things to do and some meaning. The Surge even goes a step forward because every level is discreet. And so there's no fast travel system between these. Each level is just kind of its own little mini Metroidvania that doesn't make any sense. And so, like, there were times where I would not have gotten through this game without a YouTube video. I had to come downstairs to my office, open up the laptop, and play the YouTube video of, like, where the hell am I going? Okay, all right, so I need to go down this doorway. All right, go down that door. All right, and then this guy went around this corner and up these stairs. Okay, I'm going to go up these stairs. Oh, there's the boss. Okay. So, like, I, the Surge nails the combat. I think it's it's got this real weighty combat that's a lot of fun and strategic and feels pretty good. It's clunky, but, you know, Derek, don't play it. You, you will get very <laughs> upset with it very fast. Okay. But, like, but like it, it, feels, it feels interesting. Like, I kind of like the idea of clunkier combat, uh, but it's just the level design isn't all that great. The, the game's balance is all over the place. Like, there's a whole middle section of this game where every enemy was one or two-shotting me. 
despite all the upgrades I had. And then it just became easier all of a sudden. So I don't know if that was a patch or whatever. Uh, and then there's the bosses, which are all universally terrible. And for the love <laughs> of God, guys, like it makes me look back on Dark Souls 3, which I was very hard on as like, no, Dark Souls 3 is a much better game than this in every possible way. Maybe it's not as like amazing because we've played so many of these games in such rapid succession, but like I will take the worst boss in Dark Souls 3 over any of the five terrible bosses in the Surge. Everyone's a gimmick. You have to do a certain thing to actually damage them. At one point, it switches to this weird, like, almost Resident Evil-style camera for one of the bosses when this was a third-person action game the whole way through. And you're like, what the... F- uh, it's better... It's. I, I would recommend it if it was twenty or thirty dollars as like a Steam sale game. You'll probably get some enjoyment out of it. I actually said to Steven, this is another one of those games like Alien Isolation that if this came out at thirty bucks, I think my score would have actually been higher. I was like, yeah, you could spend thirty bucks on this and have some fun. As a full price game, though, uh, that's a hard bargain to make when you have Dark Souls Three, Bloodborne, and maybe another From Software game around the corner. So. Mm. Mm. We're going to talk about that in a second. Maybe. It's a sci-fi Souls-like, but with Armored Core universe. You know (laughs) what? I I forget who was talking about it. It was on some podcast I was listening to, and I really apologize for not getting this right. Somebody was talking about, what about Armored Core... Where like you're in the giant mech, but then you have to go into like a subway or something, and you get out of the mech, and it becomes Souls Combat. So Blaster Master. Yes, <laughs> yes, and that was actually the point somebody made on that podcast. I'm so play that new Blaster Master. What I'm, is, I'm, it's I'm, really good. I'm so sorry, I can't remember who said this. I apologize, but like, doesn't that sound awesome? Yeah. Yeah. What if yeah. they just called it Armored Cores? Armored like, aliens. <laughs> Yeah. Armored Souls. I, I just I I like that idea. Uh but yeah, I, I think the Souls like games need to do a better job of being evocative of the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of isolation, the feeling of discovery. I mean, I, I am a whore for discovery in video games. It's why I went into like 50,000 caves in Skyrim and Oblivion, even though I knew that I'd get to the end of the cave and I'd pick up like 10 gold coins and an iron helmet. Like, I, I really love that enticing, like, let me find something. And I think both Neo and The Surge kind of missed that a little bit. Like, everybody remembers when they found like the Iato in... Uh, in Dark Souls, where, like, you found the first katana in the game, and you were like, oh, hell yeah. Like, there's nothing like that in any of these games, and I think that's a mistake. I think that's where they're kind of missing it a little bit. Yeah. That's fair. It's worth it. I'd say give it a try. And people will like it. it. It it does some things pretty cool. And I'd I'd like to see what Deck Thirteen does next. And I said that after Lords of the Fallen, where I was like, yeah, there's some things that I like here. It's a definite improvement, and I, I like to see improvement. A for effort. A for effort ish. Yeah. So, uh, what else are you hoping to see at E3? How about do each of you guys have like a number one announcement that you're hoping for? Yep. Yep. I do. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. Steven, go. Okay, I'm sure I could think of something else. I'm not going to get Kingdom Hearts, so let's not even bother. No, you're uh, not. <laughs> um, actually, no. You know what? They might show a trailer, maybe. I actually nope. think that, I think that game could be within a year or two. I think FF7 <laughs> Remake. I think it's the FF7 Remake that when they said that within the next three years, I think they were hedging their bets on the FF7 Remake being further out 
That, I think, is, like, way out there. I think Kingdom Hearts could be, like, early 2019, maybe 2018, maybe. But we'll I think, you're, I think anyway, you're insane. 2019. My, my number one thing I want, and this is going to sound ridiculous, I want in the Nintendo Direct them to announce Smash 4 for Switch coming out this year with all the DLC and all the 3DS stuff, and then me okay. to have it. I know I think, that is, I think that that that's going to happen. Thing. I think it's going to happen. I really hope it is this year. I feel like it could, and I have reasoning, is that, you know, they, they, see, they have these new tentpole releases of, like, brand new stuff. Like, they have ARMS coming. You know, they had, they had Zelda. Then, like, a monthish later, they had Mario Kart. Then, like, a month or two-ish later, they're going to have whatever's coming next. I forgot. ARMS, okay. right? ARMS, yeah, and then Splatoon. You know, and then they have Mario. So there was about four months, or what, three, three four months between the announcement of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and release. So if yeah. they're trying to bolster their lineup, which it seems like they are, between the major new releases... It would. I would not be surprised to see, like maybe in like November or like a month before Mario Odyssey, we get um, a Smash Four port. Because I mean, look at the sales of Mario Kart. I'm sure they realize this, but like they can essentially resell every Wii U game because nobody bought them because nobody bought a Wii U. So you know, you take Mario Kart Eight, which like there were like articles saying it was going to be the worst selling game in the series, and now it's the best selling game in the series. Who the hell um, thought it wasn't going to sell? No, well, on on Wii U because there just wasn't an install base. Like it's oh well, oh, I thought you meant on but, the Switch. Oh, so, okay. Because because Switch is such a sales success right now and seems to be on an upward trajectory, which you know when you have a good idea and you execute it on it well, there you go. Um, you know, the, Mario Kart Eight sold a ton. And so I feel like they're going to look at that if they haven't already and didn't predict that and go, okay, what other Wii U game has the longest tail? And then you look at this. (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder. You know, I feel like the phrase it prints money is going to be applicable. So I really do. Maybe it won't be this year. I really hope it is. But I would love I, I would love to see Smash 4 in the direct. They don't have to add anything, although my guess is they'll add an inkling and maybe like, I don't know, Ridley. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Man, I could see them doing like maybe maybe that one would... more character or two. Yeah, I I could see them adding maybe two, maybe three because they've been releasing them in blocks of three. My guess is we'll get an yeah. inkling, maybe another new character and a veteran. Um, yeah, and maybe like a, a Breath of the Wild costume for Link and like yeah, some other right, tie in type right, stuff. Right, and that would be really cool. You know, like yeah. Shulk. Breath yeah. of the Wild is going to be a fun game. Not not to sidetrack, but Breath of the Wild is going to be a really fun game to talk about at the end of the year. Because I, I have a sneaking suspicion that people are going to sour on it. A little bit. A little bit. Not, not really, a lot. I, I, I um, don't. I think it's pretty revolutionary. I, I adore yeah. that game. I like it more the more time passes. Okay. I, I actually dislike it more the more time passes. But I still like it a lot. Like, I just, I got really fed up with that game. I, I I can definitely appreciate some of the criticisms people have of it. Sometimes I miss the longer dungeons, but I loved... I mean, most of my time in that game was just combing each region, finding shrines and doing them, you know, finding new gear. Like, just so much about that. I have not cared about an open world basically that much ever. And I was just so into just walking around and talking to people... I, man, I could gush about that game forever, especially considering yeah. I was not a big 3D Zelda fan. And just like yeah. every single time I turn my Switch on, I look at that game and I sigh that I'm like, oh, I did all the shrines. Well, we'll no. see. We'll see. I, I, again, I, I think that's going to be a very interesting game come the end of the year because 2017 has been absolutely insane with releases. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. 
this year has been nuts. So for me, uh, I'm going to cheat. And I'm going to talk about a game that I know is going to be there and then a game that I hope is going to be there. So I am actually, don't roll your eyes, I am really excited to see this new God of War. I am really, really excited to see this. Like, they're they're putting up the mural right now that we're going to pass every day on the way from the hotel. And it is, it's for the new God of War. I have never been so like, oh my God, they're going to make another God of War as I was last year. And then we saw it and I went, oh. Oh, this is incredibly different. Like this is a third person action game that is kind of going for that Hellblade thing a little bit that I I think is really really interesting. I like the idea of Kratos being a different type of Kratos instead of just pure rage monster. Like that that entices me. Uh I like the whole Norse mythology thing and I love the fact that Cory Barlog, the director of the best God of War, God of War 2 is back. So that game is high on my list. I, I, you, I, I'm hearing nothing but stunned silence right now. But I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I don't I'm really excited to see that. I, I need mean, to I'm see not, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need to see more. I'm not going to poo on your excitement for it. I think it looks interesting. I'm not entirely sure why it's called God of War because it looks like it's not going to play anything like the it other God like, of Wars. It looks like Horizon to me. Yeah, it looks it, like in a lot of ways. ways. Yeah. yeah, it looks like yeah. Guy Horizon and like. Well, you know, I mean, I, I just, why was Resident Evil Four called Resident Evil Four? You could have called you could have called that bushwhack zombie killer, and it no, would have been that, awesome. That's, like that's that's very fair. That's very fair. I guess, I guess my only real skepticism comes from them trying to make me give any dams about Kratos as a character. I think that's very admirable for them going for that, and I, I agree with you. That's going to be really tough because I cared about Kratos in the first game because he was like he was a tragic mythological figure, like that was his whole point, and then they drove it into the ground, and then they nuked it, and then they salted the earth, and then nuked it again, and like, that that was around that, the time we got to God of War three. That's the like, thing is like you know you look at The Last of Us, and spoiler alert for The Last of Us. Um, the whole point of that game is that Joel tells you throughout the game what a bad person he is, but all you have is Joel being a good guy and protecting you. And yes, he's murdering people, but he's doing it for the player's cause. Right. And then like at the end you realize, Oh, Joel is a bad guy. Like Joel is kind of selfish. Like this isn't about her. It's about him. And like, so like you have all these references to a bad past, but now we have the benefit of knowing like, yeah, Kratos murdered every God for some really stupid reason and like destroyed the world just because he was pissed off. And now I'm like, oh, he's going to go to this boy and be like, yeah, fighting is bad. Anyway, let's go shoot bow and arrow with robot dinosaurs. I'm okay with robot dinosaurs versus I want to see where they go with this. I really do. And maybe if, even if it doesn't nail the, the story, the high story watermark of the God of War franchise, it could at least like play very interesting. So that's the first game. Uh, The second game that I, I think we're going to see I think we're going to see it. I don't know how much of it we're going to see is whatever the hell from software is working on right now. And we got a little bit of a leak last week from a Reddit user saying that uh, they're calling this game Phantom Whale. I don't know if that sounds true. It sounds way too much like Absolver, a first person, a third person melee combat focused game. But whatever the case is, I think we're going to see something from From Software, and I want it to be new and fresh. If it's Bloodborne 2, I'm still going to scream in Steven's ear and lose my mind, but I will be a little disappointed. I just want to see whatever Miyazaki-san's working on right now. Like, I, 
that studio is so exciting to me. And even when they're turning something out that it could be considered an annualization of their franchise, Dark Souls 3 is a fantastic game. Like that, that game is still a lot of fun. If that's the worst that they can do, let's see where they go next. Uh, and then quick I need hit. To, I need to play go, three. Yes, you do. And I think you will. Uh, Steven, I've been saying this to you for like a year now. You are going to love three. And then you're going to say over and over to me how much you hate Bloodborne, but you love Dark Souls three. That's what's going to happen. You're going to love it. Watch this. You're going to love it. <laughs> and, and 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 now the the question before Derek gives us his uh, do do we get any Metroid games at this E3? It would be nice. I mean, I'm I'm not holding my breath anymore, which is really sad. I just don't really. They, they haven't given it attention in so uh, long that it, I forget what it feels like to, you know, to be excited to be excited about Metroid. Like, would you want it two D or three D? Both? <laughs> I like both. No, no, that was called different. Metroid Other M. You don't want that. You you uh, really don't want that. I guess I guess No, I just don't want Team Ninja to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it could be great either way, because I think the Prime series of games were good. I never finished uh two and I didn't even touch three, but I enjoyed them. But I'm gonna say two D if I have to pick. Yeah, two D on Switch. I would be really... I mean they've already they've already proved that the Switch is an incredible console for two D like classic style games like Blaster Master Zero. So I would like, so I'm, I'm, I'm like this every year. So you're going to make fun of me, but like Reggie mentioned last year that he knows people want a Metroid. And I know the series has never killed for them sales wise, but neither did Fire Emblem. And then now it does. Um, So I don't think it's impossible. I think Nintendo tends to not announce things that are like 10 years away, Breath of Wild, notwithstanding, you know, they, their general policies, they don't, they usually don't announce big tentpole games until they're like maybe six months away unless they get delayed. Um, You know, so maybe they don't announce it this year. I think we will see a Metroid on switch. I hope it's this year. And I think they know that there would be a lot of like people that are very excited for like a new, like retro studios, Metroid game. I don't know if I'd want it 2d or 3d. What I might find cool. And I, I don't know of any other game that does this is a Metroid that plays differently depending if you're in docked mode or if you're in portable mode. Like, <laughs> like for example, you're on TV and you're in first-person mode, and then you pick up the dock and you're in side-scroller, or vice versa. You know, you pick up the the Switch itself and you have this, like, first-person mode, and then on the TV it's like a, three, you know, a 3D, 2.5D uh, perspective or something. I, I love you, dude, but that sounds like Star Fox Wii U, and I'm just like, no. Well, Star Fox Wii yeah. U was just Star Fox with terrible controls put into it. So, like, you know, if, you, if you just kept the control scheme or something. I, what I don't want is another Metroid Prime, because I think they have said all they can say with that style of game. Yeah, and I think that I, was really clear with... I actually liked Corruption more than Echoes, even though I think Corruption is a sloppy game. I don't think yeah. they've touched the first Metroid Prime in terms of, like level design and like consistency to the Metroid like formula of like not inundating you with plot and guiding you from point to point. Um, so I don't really know what I would want to see out of it other than that. I really like 2d Metroid games. Yeah. I, I think Metroid prime was my favorite out of that whole series, uh, out of that whole prime uh, set. 
Echoes well overstayed its welcome, and I did not like the the gameplay mechanic of going back and forth between the the dark world. And then I didn't play Corruption because I didn't have a Wii until very very late. Uh, I think the two D ones age better, and I think that might also be a better fit for Metroid right now to kind of be a smaller game. And, and I don't mean smaller in like a oh this this is going to be terrible. I mean it more in like not throwing a ton of resources at it, making it like a two D a 2D game that Nintendo can put the right number of resources in, see how it sells, and then go from there. You know what? Like Kirby. Kirby does not get big-budget Mario Odyssey 3D games. Kirby gets cute 3DS games that are fun and, you know, approachable. You know, make it like make it like a Kirby game. Like, make it like a mid-range 2D game, you know, if you want. You know, you don't necessarily have to do a 3D game or maybe a 2.5D or something, but there's there's a way to make that series work, and I don't think they'll give up on it because they know people want it. And, you know, there would be a lot... Like, Switch is already riding on positive feedback, saying, mm-hmm. yeah, we've got a Mario coming, we've got a, an amazing Zelda, we've got Smash, Mario Kart, all this other stuff, and we have a Metroid coming. I feel like that would basically just continue pushing this narrative of the Switch as being... It's flawed in some ways, obviously. It needs more features and stuff, and, you know, there are things to be ironed out, but the fundamental mechanic of it is good, and people like it. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not Wii U where people are like, huh? Like, Switch is very immediate. It's like, this is awesome. It's on my TV. Now it's in my hands. Now it's on my TV, you know, and it's easy to play multiplayer, you know, so I feel like a Metroid would be a nice cherry on top. I want to see it. I think maybe it's possible, but I don't know. Derek, what do you want to see at E3? Uh, so this is probably a little uh, silly almost to hope for, considering that these are older games, but predictably, I would be very, very enthusiastic about an English localization of the Seiken Densetsu collection on Switch. Oh, oh uh, yeah, I want that too. The Because uh, I've actually never really played through Seiken Densetsu 3. I know that there are ways to do that, but I just, I haven't. And uh, it's always sort of been a gap in my gaming library. The gaming, I keep saying library, gaming history. The Mana series is incredibly important to me. At least, I mean, Sigan and Setsu 2 Secret of Mana was one of those formative games for me. And I have an enormous mana tree tattoo with pink flamingos flying around it on my arm. I just, <laughs> the art style from the art for Mana and the, the world sort of and the concept even has always been so deeply resonant with me. So I, I want a way to play all of those on a modern system. And I even think, I think Final Fantasy Adventure is great. I think it's a fun game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, it's dated, but... I haven't played... The, I, it's interesting because I only played Sigan and Tetsu 3 when, that, uh, when the way to play it in English came out back in the early 2000s, and I played it with a friend. And it was, you know, we had a great time. It was like, oh my gosh, this is a co-op action RPG with tons of characters and like an in-depth story. So like, I've never played the first two, and I would love the opportunity to play those as well. And I think the third one is just so interesting because it's like, you know, you have this 15-hour JRPG that you can play, you know, there's like something like four or five main real paths. And yeah, there's so many ways. Permutations, you know, and like the character design is awesome. And like, you know, I just, I think that's a, that's the kind of stuff I love seeing on Switch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just want the opportunity to finally play through that. Um and that package to me, I mean, even like the box art for the second Densetsu collection oh. uh, teases the cockles of my heart. I, it's so pretty. It's I want so it so good. bad. 
Yeah, and so I'm kind of holding out. If we don't hear anything at E3, I'll probably just import the Japanese version, which is, I mean, I, I can muddle through it at least. Uh, it's just less than ideal. So I really do hope that we get those because I think that the Switch has the potential to be a great place for those types of experiences. Um, mm. And I think that also that could be a good way for N- Nintendo to gauge interest in sort of retro compilations and continue releasing them as such. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to have to keep rebuying the same games on new systems, but, um, you know, Sega Nintendo 3 has never come out here officially. And from from my perspective, if other companies can license and buy fan translations for their official releases of games, why can't Nintendo do that with Sega Nintendo 3 or Mother 3? Because <clears throat> it's just it just makes sense to me. I, if the work is already done and out there, why not take advantage of it? Uh, yeah. Because people just want to play the game. You know? And then also my, my other like very small want would be, I would love to see a switch uh, animal crossing and with new I'd be down with that. features. And so I, I love animal crossing. It's so fun and relaxing. I've, I've always wanted to play one of those and just, just a relaxing style game. And I, I know stardew Valley is coming out on the switch in the oh, summer. That game is so good. I was going to pick that up and give that the old college try. I just, you know, that the switch is such an amazing device right now and it is starved for games. And we all knew that was going to happen. It happens with every game system. When okay. it first comes out, like I don't know that I agree with that. All that right. Start for games. I think it could use more, but I think for a console in its what it's in what it's six months. No, it's third, third month. Yeah, Yeah, and I was in the middle of saying that like every console kind of has that right now. The problem is that it's going up against the PlayStation 4, Xbox One that are like hitting their stride and releasing a stupid number of video games. Like I don't know. I feel like the Switch has had a lot of games. Like, I mean, you know, obviously not as many as PS4 has had, but like you said, it's I, I guess I just I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of big Nintendo releases coming, and then you've had like you know, there was Zelda, there was Puyo Puyo Tetris, there's Mario Kart, there's Wonder Boy. Like, I mean, that's the four that I think I can think of off the top of my head. But like, and then there's a bunch of indie games like Blaster Master. There's like all the SNK Neo Geo stuff. So I, and like, I mean, I don't like Binding of Isaac or Remy Phrase. I haven't played it. Um, but like, I feel like the Switch has had a fair number of games. I mean, I guess maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding yeah, I just your point. Yeah, I, mean, I just think it can't compete with the incredible... Uh, deluge of high quality titles appearing on other platforms right now. Like, yes, the stuff on Nintendo Switch is good, and proportionately for the amount of time it's been out, they've got some good stuff on it. It just, you know, it, it's yeah, not okay, up to speed fair. yet. That's probably, I don't know uh, if that's I'm what you're look- going for, Rob, but I- yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for reasons to play that thing because as a video game console, it's probably my favorite gaming device right now. Like, I love how easy it is to play it on the big screen. It's it's way more responsive than the PlayStation 4. We talked about that. Like, just firing the thing up in TV mode. It it's is so way, fast. It's it way faster fast. to get started. I love taking it off the dock and being able to walk around the house. You know, when I was playing Zelda, you better believe I was doing some dungeoning while I was on the toilet. Like, you, you, that, you can just do that. I love this system so much. I'm looking for more reasons to play it. And Steven, I think you articulated the point very well. I just want more reasons to play this thing right now. Like, I, I was talking about a, a game that I really want to play on PC. Uh, Shadow Tactics, uh, Blade of the Shogun, an overhead stealth game. If that was on the Switch, I would be playing my Switch 24-7 right now. Like, I would much rather play that on a handheld device right now than on my PC. And so if 
Nintendo can bring the pain at E3, and that entire insane Zelda booth that they had last year is just indie games out the wazoo, and Mario Odyssey and Xenoblade, Xenosaga, or no, Xenoblade, Xenoblade, Xenoblade 2, holy crap. <laughs> Do we think that's coming out this year? I, I <sighs> cannot believe I, it. I can't bring myself to believe it either. They've repeatedly confirmed that it is on track for this year, but I don't see it unless they're doing it. Unless it is like their game of E3 and they do a blowout. And it's like, here it is guys. It's coming this year. We promise we wanted to keep it under wraps. Like that's the only context in which I could see it actually releasing this year. Yeah. Like my goddamn mind. If it came out this year, you know, they, like I said, like 10 minutes ago, Nintendo tends to not announce this stuff that far out. relatively speaking compared to like, you know, kingdom hearts (laughs) three. Um, (laughs) but like they've shown nothing. Yeah. I mean, I guess they showed, they showed like the, the, the trailer and stuff that had in game footage, but it didn't show in game combat or gameplay. So I'm like, you know, are they, is it going to be like a November release? And so they're going to blow it out at E3 and you know, like, like Derek was saying, like, and they're like, yeah, November, because like, Nobody knows who's localizing it, and I'm thinking maybe it's in-house. I would love if it was Nintendo of Europe, because I just need more rhyme time. But um, <laughs> that, yeah, I would lose my... Basically, I bought a Switch for the promise of a monolith game. Actually, Xenoblade, because I knew it was out when I bought Switch, and Smash 4. And like, if those come out in the first year, I'm like, all right, well, I'm spent. Yeah, I I, mean, I love this device, don't get me wrong. I, I just want more reason to play it. Um... Steven, do you think we see uh, Resident Evil 2 remake? Do you think we see it? I think we see it. I think we might see it. I think I it's think possible. It. I mean, we didn't expect to see Resident Evil 7 a year ago. And I lost it is now my goddamn mind. Like, D- you Derek, know, were you, Derek, were you in the hotel when I started just screaming? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Because, like, we're all now, watching... Now, this... to be clear, he doesn't mean we were in the room. Were you anywhere near the hotel? Within, like, <laughs> it's a about, it's about a three blocks out, and I heard this faint sort of crying. <laughs> no, because, like, that, that, that... Yes, Scotch. But, like, that trailer, like, we're all sitting there watching it going, what the hell is this? And then it just says Resident Evil 7 at the end, and I went... <gasps> And so I, I'm really happy we're going to be back at the Sony press conference. It felt wrong to not be there last year. Like, uh, there's something just so exciting about it. Um, here's a question: Does anybody get it up for uh, Destiny Two? anybody anybody going to get it I, up for Destiny Two? I'm interested. People really liked that first one. Like that game has a pretty dedicated base. I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, it's, I don't it's, get it. Destiny reminds me a lot of Fantasy Star Online. In terms of it's very okay. grind, it's very grindy. It's very much about getting those incremental upgrades to eventually get your big upgrade. You know the cl- the classes are very sort of limited in what they can do. You know because they can all kind of do everything and they have slight differentiations. So, I mean, I you know people liked the first Destiny. Like it did not hit Bungie or uh, Halo numbers, but it's an MMORPG. It was never going to. You know, or it's like a weird hybrid online things so like i don't know i mean i'm not personally super excited but if it comes to it's coming to pc via blizzard and i own everything else on the stupid blizzard launcher so maybe i'll just (laughs) do it so i can install everything i don't know how surreal is that that they've just decided to use the blizzard launcher for destiny i mean it makes total sense because they they don't get the 30 percent cut that steam takes from every game that they sell which 
I, I mean, do we all do realize that Steam is going to become like the evil corporation that takes us all over at some point with the amount of money that they're making? Like that's ah, but like I, I guess when I played Destiny. I played it so late, like around the time the Taken King was coming out, and they like remember they put it on your PlayStation Four regardless of telling you whether or not you wanted it. Like it just showed up on your PlayStation Four the demo, and I fired it up, and my first reaction was, "This is what everybody's so excited over." Like, but then again, I didn't like Borderlands to begin with. Like, I don't, I don't like loot shooters. I, I, I like my Diablo games where I'm like throwing spiders or summoning the dead with the new Necromancer expansion out soon for Diablo Three. Oh, um, it's so good! It is really good. But like, I don't, I didn't gravitate toward Destiny. I think your analogy to Fancy Star Online makes total sense. I think it's less it's less like Diablo and more like PSO because Diablo you the the loot treadmill is much faster. Yeah. Like PSO and Destiny were our our PSO is not a fast loot treadmill. I love PSO, but like you know, that's the definition of, you know, grind the same four levels over and over again to get a sword that does 20 more damage. Yeah, I just I can't uh, Also, it seems like the internet doesn't know what to feel about this game either. A lot of people were expecting a huge revolutionary change and it feels like they're it's more of an incremental thing that they're going to build on. And also, how surreal was it to see Luke Smith as the game director on that game? I can't remember if I brought that up on the last podcast, but like to go back to like listening to one up yours and him talking about uh World of Warcraft and and Halo and now he's the game director on Destiny 2. That's nuts. I, I, in a good way. I don't mean that. I don't mean that any any negativity there. That's just that's amazing to think about being back in grad school almost ten years ago and experiencing that. Hmm. Like, whew. but I just I think I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be a huge ass booth for Destiny Two, and I'm gonna just gonna walk right by it. <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm not interested either. But I mean, I'm sure we'll get some kind of a. I'm sure there'll be like a sizzle reel during the PlayStation conference, yeah. which we are going to. So maybe Woo! that will convince me to go check it out. So, yeah, I, I'm not really hyped for it. I, you know, I'm I, I'm not going to like write it off entirely. But like, yeah, I want to give stuff a chance. You know, I just don't. Yeah, it's not in I think my like, uh, list. It's not going to excite me the way you know, Cloud walking on screen in a trailer for a game that's not coming out ever is <laughs> going to. It's like, still did its job. I, I wish. No, I'm I'm dead serious. I wish I were lying. If they show me more CGI footage of FF7 Remake, I'll be more excited for that than most things at the show. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% willing to acknowledge that they have me... I'm, I'm a captive audience. Yeah. I, I just want to see Cloud and, and cross-dressing, and that's, that's it. <laughs> that, that's all I want to see. Uh, oh, um, I want to I play Sonic Mania. Uh, Sonic Mania, the, the latest trailer they released looks amazing. Where's the mute, where's the mute button? Actually, I'm with Steven on this one. I haven't given I two two, two craps about a Sonic game in so long, and I think Mania looks fantastic. Sega's in a really weird... I, I, I mean weird in a good way. Like, in a really weird spot right now, like, quickly releasing Bayonetta and Vanquish and actually, like, looking at their back catalog of games, working with Atlas to get uh, Yakuza out in America. Like, it, it seems like Sega's turning a corner in a good way and i'm like okay I'm, I'm keeping an eye on you sega like keep keep doing what you're doing like keep doing that i i think they're going in a good way much the same way square enix was going i know steven and i disagree a little bit on uh the views of square enix right now and some of the weird things that it's doing I was not aware that CyberConnect 2 was working on the Resident Evil uh, the Resident Evil 7 the, the Final Fantasy 7 remake uh now they're bringing it in house 
that could be viewed as a lot of resources were spent in a bad way. Well, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. For me, I was like I was actually surprised by the like the hysteria around that because like a week before, a couple days before, they even said they were like, yeah, we want to bring all of our main franchises in house again. And we want to outsource like stuff like Nier or like, I mean, they might not do it next time, but maybe they will because Nier was actually good this time. Um, at least gameplay wise. Um, not to poo on the old Nier. I know people love that. Um, but like, I, I feel like, you know, they may have gotten through a chunk of the game. It's not necessarily that they're dumping it. It's just that by bringing it in house, they do have more direct control over it. And, you know, if, if you're going to talk about franchises that they would want to develop in house because they're like tentpole things, uh, I, the Final Fantasy VII remake does strike me as that. Um, you know, I guess I'm just less worried because I expected that game to be really far away. And I also, like, again, this is more like me giving them the large benefit of the doubt, but it could also be that they're trying to get the development of, like, because if they're doing, like, a trilogy or an episodic thing or whatever, it could be that they're trying to get the games mostly solidified to release them in a short amount of time, and that's why there's more of this upfront weight. The James Cameron 19 Avatar sequels method, if you will. Mm. Um, admittedly bad example because Avatar but uh, like I don't know like I guess I'm not as pessimistic because I didn't think that game was anywhere near coming anyway like I actually think and I know you disagree with me here and the internet certainly likes to blow it out of proportion because you know Square Enix and delays is one of the internet's favorite recurring things to go back to Um, you know I don't I feel like Kingdom Hearts 2 Kingdom Hearts 3 is like late 2018 2019 like i feel like when they say you'll see these titles within three years i think they're saying yeah at the tail end of three years is ff7 and somewhere earlier in that is kingdom hearts 3 because like they're making that game like they've showed gameplay for years um you know so i i I, i'm i am not going to kid myself that they're going to show much from it you know my guess is that the big cage three blowout is next year and it comes out late late next year but you know And I think where some of my apprehension with Square Enix is coming from, and again, I want to be careful here. Square Enix has done a very, very good job the past few years. It felt like they really righted the ship after they had had some questionable press conferences where they re-announced games that had been announced the night previously. And then they started saying, oh yeah, Tomb Raider was a giant sales disaster because it didn't sell 6 million copies. But like, I'm seeing some very bizarre business practices at a Square Enix. And, and I, I, I kind of want to open it up to you guys a little bit on this. Like, We saw the exclusivity deal with Microsoft for Rise of the Tomb Raider. And I'm sure Microsoft gave them a lot of money, but like the sales for Rise of the Tomb Raider were all were less than half of the last Tomb Raider game, which they said did not meet sales expectations. Now, obviously, they can re-roll sales expectations. They're using a similar engine. All that being said, the game did not sell as well as the last one. Deus Ex Mankind Divided, there was a lot of talk about that game being split up into thirds as a trilogy instead of a complete title. Now it looks like the series has basically been put on ice as Eidos Montreal is being moved to work on whatever the Marvel license is that they just gained. Uh, This one is very contentious for me. Uh, As long as they let IO Interactive go with the Hitman license, otherwise I am going to be incredibly pissed off. There's nothing worse than making the the best game in a franchise and then suddenly being told, nope, you're not going to make any more. Like, that last Hitman game is absolutely amazing, and they were dealing with coming off of Hitman Absolution, which was a bad Hitman game. It's not a bad game, but it's a bad Hitman game. 
and how upset people were over that. So they had a huge hill to climb on that one. And now we're seeing some, you know, I, I agree with you, Stephen, that the, the internet's making it way, way blowing it out of proportion when it comes to delays. But like to think that they were working on final fantasy seven in some form, and now they're moving it in house that, that kind of speaks to the final fantasy 13, final fantasy 15 problem of, you guys were just kind of screwing around with this thing for a while, seeing what worked, and now you've decided that it's time to finally start working on it? Like, Well, that could be the case, but like they said a few months ago, like they had finalized the battle system and stuff, so like it could sure. well be, maybe they have this like game engine and like these fundamentals of combat, because you know, like and they said, we're bringing it in-house because we want to put this guy at the head of it so it has a steady vision. So it mm-hmm. could be that they have these mechanics set up, and now they are building a game around it. I don't know. You know, again, because earlier I said don't just build mechanics and have terrible level design, so I'm not being consistent. But I don't know. I guess I'm not – maybe it's just because I didn't have any expectations for it already that I was not surprised to hear that they were like, yeah, we're popping it in-house now. You know, I – to me, that's that actually. It's funny because you thought that that sounded like maybe it's being mismanaged or something. And I, on the other hand, had the exact opposite reaction of, "Oh, good, they're not screwing around. They're like, yeah, we need this to get somewhere. We're put, we're taking it in house." You know, like it strikes me very much of when they put Yoshida on FF14 or when they put Tabata on 15, because you know, 15 is polarizing. Every Final Fantasy is polarizing. I'm not going to have that debate. You know, I, I I like lots of FF15. I have lots of problems with FF15. But, like, putting Tabata on that project gave it a course, and it got done. Mm-hmm. So I think, to me, not having Nomura as this, like, de facto sort of director, nebulous producer, mastermind person, having a person who will ship games on the head of it, to me, seems like a good idea. Um, but, like, and with the Hitman thing, I do agree that it's a bummer, you know, because it seems by all accounts that people liked Hitman being episodic. The developers seemed to do well with it. Um but, you know, I, I feel like part of being a mega corporation is making those choices now. Like, and not that they're like this benevolent thing, but, you know, they've got to stay in business. And if it's not doing the numbers they want, at least they're cutting them loose and giving them the IP. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That, that's the you big know, thing. As long it, as they it, get the IP, then I'm yeah. happy. Exactly. That's the big thing for me is it's not like they're like, all right, get bent IO. We have this thing that you've spent, what, like almost 15 years working on. It's ours now. Like giving them the IP says like, yeah, obviously you guys don't have our resources now, but you know, it's better than being forced to make something they don't want to make or just sitting stagnant. I feel confident somebody will pick it up. You know, like Hitman is the kind of thing like EA would love or like Ubisoft would like, or they go to Kickstarter and they kickstart a new Hitman that's like the episodic one, but all at once or something. I don't know. I, I agree with you that it's the FF7 remake is probably going to experience a protracted development cycle. I'm just not sure I want to attribute it to mid-2000s, early early aughts era Square Enix sort of fumbling around because they're making pretty tight choices elsewhere. If they give me a release date for Dragon Quest XI in the West, all is forgiven. Like then, oh, man, then I, I, I can't believe I forgot that. I, I know I forgot <laughs> oh, it too. Oh wow, I completely <laughs> forgot about that as well. <laughs> if they give that to me, I will be very, very excited. I'm just seeing. I, I'm not saying that Square Enix is falling back into that mid 2000s, and I would also argue late. Uh, I, I'd also say early 2000 teens uh, behavior. But I'm seeing a couple moves that I'm like, are you guys getting ready to make those same mistakes again? Because I really don't want you guys to like. 
you've done a really good job. You got Final Fantasy 15 out the door, which was huge. You fixed Final Fantasy 14. And that you seem to adjust sales expectations to where you're not seeing a game as a complete failure for not reaching Call of Duty numbers. But like, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm watching them. I'm watching them very carefully right now. I don't, I'm not ready to let them off the hook. Just. That's fair. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, my my fondness for Square Enix's games aside, I agree that any big corp like that does not deserve your loyalty out of hand. You know, like teams do. Like, I absolutely will buy anything that comes out of FF14, probably without waiting for a review, because that game has not disappointed me. There are parts of it I don't like as much, like the like the the, the sort of like, in my opinion, like the grind, or... the grind, and the fact that the class system, the way it's constructed, makes it impossible to build a real support class because the content is built in such a way that you have to output numerically a certain amount of damage. So you always have to have these DPSs involved. And you always have to have these tanks. And I feel like Stormblood is leaning into that being like, yeah, tanks all have to have these roles. And then you have a few flavor things. I still, I still like it and enjoy it. And like, I have those issues, but that game is phenomenally well-designed focused. The storyline in that game is constantly fun to play through. It's like having a never ending final fantasy, honestly, with like, more and more characters that I like. And like, then it's like, you know, now it's been going for what, like three, four years. So it's like, you know, you go to that game and like somebody pops up from two years ago and like the narrative is like, Oh, it's so good to see you. It's been a long time. And in real time, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Two years ago, I went on an adventure with you. This is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to rave about FF14 for a second. Uh, <laughs> That's appropriate I, in any uh, situation no, as no, far as I'm concerned. No, 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 no. But yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I actually, if, if it's not too soon to segue, I wanted to ask a question <laughs> of you guys. Okay. So I, had one, a... I had one too, but go ahead. Okay. Um, I think this will be quick, maybe, or maybe it won't. There is a rumor, and I, I don't know how much truth there is, because you know there haven't been a lot of leaks this year, so I think there's just people trying to build up rumors. But there have been a lot of like movements that Sony is going to produce some sort of portable PlayStation 4 because of the Switch. What do you, th- I, I am not going to, I don't want to, I, I, I won't give my opinion yet, but what do you all think of that? Mm. Derek? Sound like you have something to say. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, I, I've, I haven't heard anything related to that. Well, so. in terms of finances, I was one of the people who shelled out for a PS4 Pro. So. Me too. You know, I, I use my PS4 enough and I like it enough and I have a 4K TV and everything that I felt like that was a justifiable upgrade. Um, I still don't think that it is a necessary upgrade for most people, but you know, with the right setup, it it can elevate your experience as it were. So I was happy with that. Um, you know, I'm loving my switch. I love having a system that feels like a powerful home console that I can play on my TV that I can take with me on the go. That's fantastic. I just, I don't know if I'm, I really need to, you know, just my gut reaction is I'm not sure I want to pay for another PS4 where like whereas if Sony's PS5 was a hybrid system, I'd probably be more open to it. Um, I just don't know that I'm ready to like buy another console mm. for the same sorts of experiences that I'm already having. You know, if it's just like a, a little, if it's more or less a DS, you know, like if it has a controller built into it and then a screen, like I don't think that that's something that I necessarily want to pay for. But I could, you know, I could change my tune. I don't know. I'm kind of mixed on it because I think on the one hand, you have a lot of examples of Sony 
following Nintendo down a rabbit hole. So you had like the motion controls, you had the PSP, you had the Vita, and all three of those things kind of didn't work all that great. Like they weren't the runaway success that Nintendo had. So on the one one hand, you got Sony doing things to follow Nintendo, but on the other hand, you have it not exactly working out. So it comes down to which way do you see that happening? I think this actually dovetails nicely into a conversation about the Scorpio because like I haven't done that for a long time. I'm really excited. It's been a minute. No, I'm looking forward to doing that. That's a new one to me. In one week, there's going to be so much Scorpio. Scorpio. Uh, I think the Scorpio could, it really comes down to how Microsoft positions the Scorpio. Do they position this as this is your next Xbox? Or do they position this as the PlayStation 4 Pro? This is your upgrade if you want it. Because I think if they do the PlayStation 4 Pro, I, I don't think they really get a whole lot of support. I think I agree. I think they have to position it as your new Xbox. But then you run I, the risk of really pissing people off. <laughs> I, I agree with you both. I actually think they're in a tough place here. because They're screwed. They, can't make, they're, they, they don't want it to be called Xbox One. They want right. it to be Xbox One that supports new things to try to restart. And it, it's awesome hardware. There's a lot of great stuff in it. I, I think it's really cool. But we have seen this in every single hardware generation. The top-powered system is never the best system. I mean, I guess unless you want to count SNES and Genesis. But they're, like, they're only the same generation because of, of like their order of release. Like The Genesis was out way before the SNES. Hmm. So, like... Having hardware doesn't matter, and it's not just that Xbox One wasn't as powerful as the PS4, it's that Xbox One to this day has, like, no exclusives that are that impressive. Like, I mean, for me, all right, so I I know I have friends who regularly are like, oh, I don't like Sony, I, I'm all about the bone, I'm all about the bone, and I'm like, all right, whatever, man. <laughs> um, you know, there are some exclusives I like, and Microsoft does some cool stuff, like, I think it's incredibly crappy that they canceled the new phantom dust but it's cool that they released a solid port of phantom dust on pc and xbox one for free and yes it has microtransactions but that's if you want to unlock everything all at once you can play the entirety of the old phantom dust in hd stably and online for free that's cool and Mm -hmm. like i love this idea that they're going to make all their exclusives pc and xbox because they want xbox to be more like a platform that's great for me because now I'm never going to buy one of their consoles again ever because they, the, exclu- the, the multi-plats come to PC and PS4 where I want them and hopefully Switch where I really want them. And they're exclusives I can play on my computer. So that's great because that means I'm going to buy Microsoft software. But it also, to me, Scorpio is just this, like, this mid-step of like, yeah, we're building this crazy powerful console that's going to cost a premium price. We're going to basically... Microsoft said they would never drop Connect, and then they dropped Connect. They're saying they're not going to drop Xbox One. They're dropping Xbox One, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the end of Xbox One. This is a new hardware generation for them. And I think maybe that's worth it. I don't know. Like, people, you know, I, I don't know what I think of that because they don't, they have exclusives. They don't have the stable of exclusive content that Sony has. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Because Sony has all these different first and second party studios that are doing all these different kinds of games and all this different stuff, and they have the indies. Like Microsoft has done well, get like supporting indies, and like I'm not saying that they've made no good moves, 
they don't have the big, they don't have Horizon. Like, they pushed ReCore. ReCore was, like, half done. They have Gears of War 50. They have Halo, whatever one we're on, 6, that people want, and they have, but, like, the problem is that I think the Xbox 360 was only ever a third-party platform, and it succeeded because of that, because it was the best console for a long time to play third-party stuff. But they're not going to get... They're gonna, they might get third-party, but they just don't have exclusives. Like, they keep claiming they do, and then they announce sequels to all these series they have, like Crackdown, that I know people want. But, you know, and I don't want to go on too long, but I just... I don't see a scenario where Scorpio gets them into the PlayStation territory. They're not going to get into Switch territory because of that portable mode. So I think they're trying to go for Xbox as a PC console hybrid service, like sort of yeah. like more like competing with Steam boxes. Maybe yeah, that works for them. That's what I thought you were going for with that, yeah. You know, I, I just, I don't know. They, you know, what exclusives have come to Xbox this year? Halo and, Wars 2. And the price, I mean, uh, what was it? Eurogamer did a breakdown of what they were expecting this thing to cost, and it was getting toward the $500 what I feel was one of the biggest problems with the bone when it first came out, which was it was a hundred bucks more than the PlayStation four. Yeah. That, and that was a serious problem. And you've also had a very weird thing happen with this console generation. Remember at the start when the PC versions of the games had like ridiculous system specs and like they weren't running that well. And it was like, Oh my God, all the ports on PC are in real bad trouble. Now with the, 1070 the 1080 series nvidia and the 400 series ati cards the graphics cards are doing more and now with the exception of a few games like the total war games these games are no longer as cpu bound as they were so now you're getting way better experiences than you could get on a console by slapping a 300 graphics card in your computer i mean that's what i did when i got a 1070 and so even though i'm running a very outdated cpu Prey is running at sixty at like one hundred and twenty frames per second on my computer at max settings. Exactly, none of the consoles can do that. My computer is seven. I built my computer seven years ago, and I have upgraded the RAM, and I upgraded the hard drive, the um, the three D card, and it you know it's running new games, full res. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't go four K yet, but you know, for me, ten eighty p is still fine. I'm running ten eighty p sixty frames on everything that I play. And the only things I play on my PS4 are either things that I prefer to play on a console, like multiplayer maybe, or like Sony exclusives. Exclusives. And that's why I don't know if there's room for this like super expensive mega powered console that, you know, it's not, you know, we've seen power doesn't, no, we don't care about power because Switch is the weakest of the consoles and it's my favorite. Yep. We don't care about you know, multi-plat stuff because we already have a PS4 or a PC for that. And we have a PS4 for the stuff that you can only play on it. Your Persona, your, you know, Horizons and Nier and all that stuff. So it's like, what what market are they trying to take? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that now... Also keep in mind that the jump from the PlayStation 4, 3 to PlayStation 4, that, that generation jump, we're, we're seeing it in games like Horizon now. We're seeing those games really take off and look absolutely stunning. But remember how much pushback there was on that jump, that graphical fidelity jump of people going, wow, this doesn't really look all that better. And eventually, you know, as with every console, every console generation, the games did start looking remarkably better as it went along 
if this Scorpio, if they start showing games on this and it doesn't look any better than Horizon, oh boy. Like, That's the thing, like, and, and, and like Uncharted Lost Legacy, which I'm actually, re- I, I changed my mind, I'm excited about that too, because Uncharted 4 was like shockingly fantastic. Um, no, it wasn't shocking, but it was awesome. Um, it was good, yeah. Like visually that and Horizon and like, you know, you have stylized games like Persona, like, you gotta. You have to. Essentially, you need to make something that looks better than Horizon for me to care that your console is running. Because yeah, I get that it can run 4K 60 FPS, and I think that's very future proof and very smart. But this might not be the time to sell that. Like this might be another case of like, yeah, we think things are going to go with motion and connect, and then being like, oh, oops, people don't yeah. want that. I, I, I still, mean, I, I'm still not sold on 4K televisions. I'm still think, not sold on it. I think 4K will. I, I'm I'm not sold now myself. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think 4K will be the 1080p in five years. I think Could because be. that's just the natural progression of how these you know these displays go. You know, I think that's smart to have it future proof because that means that in five years the Scorpio will be better placed than the Pro, which does not do you know it doesn't do native 4K or whatever. Um, but I mean, I still like that it ups the performance of some of my games. Um, but you know, I don't. I just don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. The the Switch has done exactly what Nintendo did with the Wii in a lot of ways, and I'm not saying that it's to that level of success, even though it is selling faster than the Wii right now, and everybody needs to be watching that. I, it's a table flip moment. I mean, Nintendo came right in and flipped the goddamn table again, and now everybody's going, wait, we don't have to pump millions and billions of dollars into these games to make them look outrageously good. We just need to release them on this handheld that doesn't really require that insane level of resource. I mean, look at, look at Mario Kart 8. That game is beautiful. Like, yes, it, I is. Just, yeah, like, it really is. No. It looks fantastic. Like, I like, we were playing it the other day and I was in split screen and it running 60 FPS in split screen. And I'm like, I think, you know, obviously perfection is hard to argue because it's like, it's art, it's graphics, but like, and it's a, it's not a realistic style like horizon. But that game basically looks perfect. It doesn't slow down. And, yeah. like, it looks gorgeous. And I'm like, this is the weakest hardware. And it looks awesome on the, on the small screen. It looks awesome on the big screen. I'm like, so when you want me to go out and dump 400 or 500 bucks on a mega console, I'm like, all right, well, what am I getting out of this? Yeah, I just need I, I need Nintendo to announce Netflix on the Switch. I know that's oh, God. Silly. I can't wait. Like, I, if I had been able to watch House of Cards this last season just in bed on my Switch, I would have done it. I do. I, I you know, our kitchen is kind of small, but like, I do a lot of cooking in there. Like people tend to do with kitchens, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's always like, oh, I want to watch Netflix. Oh, I got to grab my laptop and put it in there. Man, if I could just grab my Switch and pop it on top of the refrigerator while I'm cooking, that would be amazing. Like, I know Netflix will come to the console. But man, hurry up, please. Yeah, that like that that switch is it's an impressive piece of technology. But get, getting back to Stephen's question from a few minutes ago, I haven't heard anything. Oh, right, I, I know getting all the way back there, but I haven't heard anything about uh, a PlayStation Four portable. I can't imagine they would do that after the Pro. I don't want to say the Pro failed, but I think the Pro kind of underwhelmed a little bit, and that seems to be the market reaction to it. I think. Sony will be happy to just continue to sell PlayStation 4s like crazy. I think as time goes on, too, you'll see the Pro with a long tail. Because as yeah. the price drops, I think, you know, somebody, when, it's, when, when it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, I can spend very little and get a PS4, or I could spend a little more of what I would spend on a new console and get the better version, I think that might go. 
I, I don't know about the portable PS4. Sony has a long history of looking at Nintendo and being like, oh, yeah, we're going to do what they did. Um, you know, like PS uh, Move and stuff. The but move, then, yeah. But, you know, which died, basically. I mean, it, it, maybe not, though, because, like, PSVR is doing really well for them. And the move, the move is it? Them. Yeah, is it the P- yeah, they said they said like the PSVR is selling way beyond expectations, and like, like, uh, like a lot of like GDC stuff um, focused on VR, and like a lot of the industry is like pushing towards VR too. At least just from mm-hmm. what I've seen, you know, I don't know how that bears out. Like, I don't think it ever takes the place of like you know your controller and TV setup. But yeah, I think Sony's very happy with the performance of PSVR, which uses the move. So I guess the move is not totally dead. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it makes me wonder, like, would it be cool to have, you know, near portable? And I'm like, yeah, that would be. But, like, what what is the angle they take with it to, like, make it, you know, to, to not make it a remote play console and to not make it, you know, because I feel like if they did it, it would be a PS4 stock, not a PS4 Pro, you know? Mm. And it's like, does it have the Joy-Cons on the side that are just shaped like two PS4 controllers that slip off? Because that would be cool. Um. But, you know, it's also, like, these are higher-powered games that are more intensive, so, like, battery is going to be an issue. So, like, and Vita was not Sony's favorite thing they've ever done. So, like, I I don't know, like, maybe it's an attempt to cash in on that excellent sort of very quick portability of, like, you know, going from your TV to going to anywhere. Because I think remote play is neat as a concept, but I rarely want to use it because the latency I just don't like. Yeah, Whereas with my Switch, it's like, you know, boom, this is the game. It's not streaming. I'm not getting occasional hiccups or artifacting, you know, like you said, Derek. Like, it's, it's you know, I, I don't want to use remote play. Maybe they do do this, but I, I, I just don't know that Sony has the room in their portfolio for two SKUs of PS4, PSVR, PS Move, and a portable, which they have now failed. I mean, not that, I know fans like PSP and Vita, but Sales-wise, those were failures for Sony. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know. So the question I was going to ask uh, a little bit ago. First, it's a statement, and then it's a question to you guys, and maybe it's a negative question. But I'm really worried about Bioware right now. Like, I would be considering the reception of Andromeda, the sales of Andromeda how much money they had to put into Andromeda. Bioware is one of the, probably one of the companies I'm most worried about right now. Is there anything that you guys are really worried about that you're seeing like trend wise in the video game industry? Like I'm not meaning to turn the show negative, but I think it's important. Like this is a business reality. We talked a little bit about that with Square Enix, but like, man, I, I think whatever Bioware was planning, they probably had a serious sit down with EA right now. Well, remember, though, it's not Bioware that made Mass Effect Andromeda. It's Bioware Montreal, which is a reskin of another studio. Like, right. that, was, that was not the primary Bioware studio. I don't think regular Bioware is in any danger, but I think Bio, yeah. Bioware Montreal is probably not. Oh, I just Googled it, and on May 10th, they got demoted or something. So uh, it looks like, you know, Mass Effect is probably toast for now. I don't think Bioware is going anywhere because of you know, them being one of their main studios, but I'm curious what they're working on. Maybe a Dragon Age Inquisition 2 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm worried about Bioware itself, but yeah, Bioware Montreal might be toast and Mass Effect might be toast. That's fair. Yeah, I think if anything jumps out at me as a concern right now is the discussion that we just had about Square Enix's development schedule being 
just sort of wonky. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I appreciate that assigning a new director or uh, a new, um, making it in-house for Final Fantasy VII in particular, you know, that shows that they're looking to have a singular vision and that they, they want to get the game really moving along at a steady pace. I just worry about the, uh, the release schedule. It's like, why announce something that early if we're, I mean, from announcement to release should not be like six or seven years. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I just, I worry about their development process and their um, sort of their budget allocation. But I was, I was even thinking about, I, I feel like a year for the Final Fantasy twelve remake was too long. Maybe I'm being a little, I, I've, I would have expected that. I, I remember when they said like, oh, it's coming out in 2017. And like the first thing out of my mouth was really that, that long. And, and again, maybe, maybe, they had, maybe they hadn't been working on it that long. It, it might've been, but like a year for the Final Fantasy twelve remake. I'd be willing to believe that this is not an issue of them not being able to get it done. It's an issue of when can we place this in our release schedule for a maximum. Sales. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with fair. Derek on that. Also keep in mind, this is a more dramatic overhaul than the FF 10 port was because this is their, this is the Zodiac job system version, which a required retranslating more translation from uh, the original translators uh, because there's more, text in that version of the game and then on top of that they're actually adding things that weren't in international job system version or zodiac job system version so like it's not this was not just a, a quick port turnaround this was also there was some development and some localization involved in this yeah and not I, to mention retexturing yeah right I, I, exactly i just felt like a year waiting for this thing was a little weird like i kept expecting it like is that thing out yet like and, and again maybe my expectations are a little screwed up but like, i just wanted it sooner because i wanted it sooner <laughs> like yeah I just fantasy want to 12 is one of my faves so. and i just want more alex smith stuff all the time it'll, it'll be the fifth time i try to play this game and i don't like it <laughs> i just i'm gonna try again guys but i think i'm gonna wait for the pc version because we know it's gonna come out on pc Let's hope. Maybe. Although the freaking PC version of FF9 in Japan never came out, so I can't play it in Japanese on a big screen. I can only play wait, it on my no, phone. It's on, it's on Steam. Oh, wait, is it the different? Is it a different version on Steam? Well, no, it's the same version, but the Japanese version of Final Fantasy IX is only available on I on phones. Oh, okay. Like, you if it, you yeah, okay. if you buy even if you buy it on Steam Japan, it doesn't have Japanese in it. It only has the. Well, the we just the, gave Square Enix the best selling game of the year, which would be Final Fantasy Tactics on the Switch. <laughs> Fix the slowdown and put it on the goddamn switch. I want a new one. I want a new one, but I don't want it to be about a bunch of kids that read a book called Final Fantasy. Yeah, I, I know. I would, I, like know. I would like it to be set in Ivalice and be, you know, its own thing. Yeah, I, more I, mature, I guess. Yeah, I, I want it to be an actual like. I, I know that maybe sounds petty, but that really turned me off to the advanced well, games. I have nothing me... against whimsy either. It's just like that's. I have yeah. nothing against whimsy. I love Dragon Quest. <laughs> yeah, my main problem is actually this, surprisingly because you know I'm not a huge Dragon Quest fan. I'm super stoked for Eleven, but I actually I don't think it was the story or the tone of the advanced games that got me. It was the obsessive balancing. Where instead of in like FF Tactics, there are all these crazy strategies you can come up with. It's kind of like pick your class and which color you want your Ultima Strike to be. Like all the, it was very overbalanced. It didn't feel like I could create a calculator that would annihilate the battlefield or like a monk that could double punch and kill every enemy in the game in one hit. That was more my issue. But Pipe Dream, a sequel that takes place like several generations after Delita has overthrown everything. (laughs) What happens later? Like what happens to the remnants of the church? What happens to all that? I want that 
and not a direct sequel with the same characters. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. I, I, same world, but a couple generations in the future. Give me like, guys, give me, oh give me like God. Oran's descendants. Give me like, you know, somebody oh, like, oh. you know, uh, oh God, that would be awesome. I want to play that game the so pro- bad. The, be hard. the problem is it's hard to get descendants because so many people die in that game. Yeah, but like sure. you killed Jesus at one point in that game, so we might as well just keep going. No, it was Diet Ultima Jesus. It was Whatever. like it was Glo- Globados Jesus. Whatever, but like every time Whatever. I try to play the Vita version of that game, I get so angry at the slowdown. It it just grates on me so much, and I know that's everybody's going to just get over it. But like, god damn it, it's like you're playing an inferior version of the goddamn game. <laughs> That's what I, I really hope the Switch opens us up to lots of games like this. And aren't they making a Fire Emblem game for Switch? Yes. They play that, right? Two, apparently. They're making uh, a Fire Emblem Warriors and a Fire Emblem. I will play the shit out of a Fire, War- uh, a F- Fire Warriors. I almost made up a game title there. I will play the shit out of a Fire Emblem on Switch. Like I just, yeah, It's closer to Echoes than I will, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a great console for it. I mean, you know. Steven, you need to, while we're in L.A., you need to buy Dragon Quest Eight on 3DS. You need to just listen to me. I have. You need to. I have a surplus of nothing that would allow me to play that. I, I have neither a surplus of money nor time. Oh, my God. It's only like 30 hours if you speed up the battles. Yeah, but I can't get through the 10 hours it takes to beat Prey. Okay, that's... that's uh, actually, Prey's closer to 20 hours, big guy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, it's actually surprisingly there long. There you go. Um, I guess I'm, I'm also really looking forward to seeing the indie stuff. Uh, I hope this year's indie showing is, man, I I feel like the indie shows that we that we've gone to at E3, it's either been like that amazing first year that I went where I got to play Below, and which still isn't out, god damn it, and I'm really pissed about it. Like all these really awesome games, but then every once in a while, I feel like the indies at E3, it's kind of like what we get at Magfest, where it's like. Yeah, I really don't want to play that. I really don't want to play that. I really don't want to play that. Where are the good indie games? Like, I, I want to see what all they got this year, but I, I, I don't want to be snooty, but why is it that so many indie games just have terrible art design, and that's the first thing I'm like, nope. Hmm, nope. I don't agree no. with you. I, there's there, are a plenty, lot of re- there are plenty of games with rough art design, but I don't know that it's endemic to being indie. Well, no, not endemic to being indie, but uh, but like think about some of those games that we walked past in the Magfest halls that like you would not even turn around and looked at. I feel like that's what's been at E three for the past two years. I don't know. Whenever I turn around and look at those games, I tend to have interesting experiences. Well, you're I just mean, a better person than I am, but like, I, well, I mean, it's not like I'm hyper interested in everything, but I think like it's hard to you know judge something like that so quickly. Like there are, I been, can agree with that. You know, a lot of great indie games i just think sometimes maybe they're not at e3 or you know i feel like my thing is that a lot of indie games have protracted development cycles it seems like so i see the same ones every year for like three years that's true you know like i've been to multiple i've seen super giants pyre like 50 times now i feel like i know it's not that many but like i've gone to several events and i'm like all right i've seen pyre enough i don't need to see it anymore i just you know it needs to come out so i can ignore it but like is that is that gonna be good because because i didn't I like mean, transistor I, at all I, I am sure people will like it people really liked bastion and transistor i was not one of those people i feel like their games are very stylish and sound awesome and are more middling in terms of how they play 
Because again, that gets into my, I don't think they have great level design, I think. But, you know, again, that's just personal. I'm sure it will do well. I mean, I don't know. It looks cool. I just, I'm probably, I'm not interested in it because I'm not interested in the, their, their games remind me a lot of the Zeboid games where I feel like they're technically, oh my God. Well, <laughs> technically well constructed, but they feel sterile. Like Cosmic Star Hero yes. has an amazing soundtrack, but I feel like their obsession with creating something that can be easily played for somebody who's, you know, busy with, you know, we, we recharged your MP after battle and every battle is a specific fight and the fights are canned. It feels, it feels sterile. Like, I feel like yeah. I'm playing something that yeah. is so carefully built piece by piece that I'm not, I'm not exploring something. It feels like I'm being walked through their games. You know what, uh, but what's weird, Steven, is that's a lot of how I felt about South Park The Stick of Truth in a lot of ways. I think that's a great way. I mean, that is what South Park The Stick of Truth is like. I think it's a little less noticeable in that. Yeah, but, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. But I, I agree completely. That's what I feel like a lot of those, the, the games in that trajectory end up feeling like. They feel very, like, Sudeki on Xbox. It's like, you know... It's like, yeah, you're going to gain one level in this dungeon. You're going to get one of two abilities, and we know what it's going to be, and we're going to build everything exactly so you can hit the right button, you know, at the right time. I don't know. So uh, that was sort of a tangent. But I think Pyre will come out and review well, and people will love it and draw lots of fan art of it, and Supergiant will keep their sterling reputation, and I'll probably continue not being super high in their games. I'm not a huge fan of Bastion either, and... uh... I've said on this podcast several times that Transistor was more my style, but even that, I, I really love a lot of the ideas that go into Transistor, and I yeah. like. I even think that the combat is fun. But I think Rob, you've said that you found one setup that worked for you, and you didn't feel like experimenting. Yeah, is that I, I your just, with it? yeah, like I from the first five minutes of that game, I found a setup that I liked, and then every time I experimented, I didn't like it as much, and so I just kept going. And it was very boring, and maybe yeah. that's maybe that was user error. But I just felt like it was it was too opaque, which is not a criticism that I. It, it's kind of a weird criticism to make because I don't need everything to be spelled out. Um, I'm 100 percent with you, though. I just feel like Transistor was very like, I hate to say it, but up its own ass is kind of the vibe that I got. Yeah, from it, so. it was very. Uh, I mean, that's that that's that's really what I got out of it. Again, I would never impugn the the talent and the art of the people who made it. I think they did a great job and really realized their vision. But I feel like Transistor was so very into how cool it was that they were like yeah explain this thing that happened before but i'm not going to show it to you and it's actually not relevant to the plot now either and it really doesn't have any relevance to anything but how cool was it to read about it on that computer a <laughs> uh, couple dark horses for me i'm actually excited to see the new uh call of cthulhu game because i like the idea of like a mystery horror game uh and we've kind of seen a revitalization of that a little bit with, you know, Resident Evil 7 and Outlast, although I think Outlast 2 has shown that people are a little tired of one-hit kill deaths in horror games. So I, I love horror games as a genre. Like, I just adore them, but very few of them actually pique my interest. So Call of Cthulhu to kind of make a mystery game I, I kind of reminds me a little bit of Until Dawn. Like, I want more of those mystery-style games that are just really, really fun. Uh trying to think if there's anything else that i'm really uh vampire seemed interesting when i saw it last year isn't it the game from don't nod yeah and they're apparently gonna announce a new uh life is strange something or other at e3 yeah uh, yeah yeah. Hmm. yeah i saw that leak or whatever it is uh i don't know how i feel about that but we'll see i like life is strange but i right I, before I, oh, i'm sorry good 
I was just going to say, I feel like um, it, because it's supposed to be a prequel, I don't think that, I mean, we know how the story is going to end. So I need, to, I, need, I need to play that game still. Miyoko and I both want to play it. Isn't it on PlayStation? It's PlayStation Plus free we, next month, I think. We own it on everything. We've just never gotten oh, around to it. I, I actually, I saw a leak right as we were starting, and it's it could be fake. I desperately hope it's not. It's for some Telltale stuff, but most importantly is Tales from the Borderlands Season 2, which, saying it here, Tales from the Borderlands is the best game Telltale's ever made, and in part it might be because they had writers from outside. Um, hmm. Not that Telltale's writers are bad or anything, but like, that game struck a perfect balance of like drama and comedy and like it perfected the Borderlands style of comedy, what Borderlands was trying to do all the time. And just that, like Miyoko and I played it. We were like, oh, I guess we'll just play the first episode. It's free. And like, by the end we were both like, oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, like, I, if you have not played it, I think you would both enjoy it. You should really, really play it. It's yeah, so good. I also, that's another one that I, I own, I think both on Same. Steam and PS4 and I haven't gotten around to playing it. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a prediction. I don't think we see Detroit. Oh yeah, I, I forgot that existed. Sony I don't. Th- I, I don't think we right. see. Right, that's that Sony. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think. I, I mean, maybe it's just part of my hatred of David Cage and everything he stands for. But like, I really don't <laughs> think we see that game at E three. Like, I, something just something doesn't feel right about the fact that we have heard. Like, at least the God of War developers have talked a little bit about it. We haven't heard anything about detroit like it has been complete radio silence since that super pretentious trailer last year (laughs) that's like we're trying to be blade runner and it's like not yeah i don't envy anyone trying to tell a story about machines or like ai or artificial intelligence after near (laughs) i uh i'm very excited to see the cloud amiibo and to figure out what the hell's going on with mario and rabbids Oh God! No, Mario I shooting guns. What? I hate that so much. What? I do not understand. Hate. What just, is happening with they're that? Just, like, they're just mad that the rabbits didn't become the minions. That's all no, they're mad about. Because I hate minions too. But I know. You know what? They predated the minions, so they got to be super pissed because they're like, we had it first. They did have it first. I just like. All right, let me rephrase. A Mario strategy RPG would be really cool. But I'm like, what? Yes. Who thought of this? Like, what? What person said? You know what people love? Rabbids. You know what else they love? Super well, you know Mario what? And people like minions, RPGs. and I don't get it at we, all. <laughs> okay, all right. What is so let's, hard? Let's what, back what? up here. Maybe, maybe rabbits are pretty popular with kids. So maybe this actually is a smart business call in the way Skylanders is a smart business call. But what? What is? What is wrong with them? Here's an here's an idea for a strategy role playing game. Why don't they just do the star? Uh, what is it? The star something emissary from uh, Super Smash Brothers on Wii, and just have Mario and his friends going through the Nintendo universe. That'd be awesome. Did I just make a better game? Did, I think I did. Like, okay, it, maybe that game ends up being good. Who knows? But it's just like why. Like yeah, I mean, I'm not discounting the possibility that it could be a functional and fun strategy RPG. I just I, there could not be anything in this world less thematically appealing to me than minions. And here we are with rabbits. It's the Which same is goddamn thing. And like, le- and let's talk about the fact that real Luigi, as always, gets hosed and is in the deep background while while a Luigi minion and a selfie shooting Peach minion are on the front and center. Like, I'm just like, there's so much about it that I'm like, why? 
Why did no, you choose to do this? Honestly, it just makes me want to projectile vomit all over the place. I will not, for a goddamn second, apologize for how I feel about minions or rabbits. So I'm, I, I'm not sorry. I hate them so much. I think I they are like that. the lowest common denominator of trash, plastic, <laughs> American <laughs> Facebook mom family humor. I just, I hate it so much. Okay, I'm good. I'm I fine. mean, I, I completely agree. So I think we can safely assume that we're all. No, I'm good. Not I'm not sure how we feel about Mario. Well, so I can't, right, we're, I, we're sure how we feel about it. Never mind. I can't but. talk you guys into seeing Despicable Me 3 while we're in L.A. Is that what you're but telling Despicable me? Despicable Me has, has Steve Carell. Like, it has Gru. Like, he's not – like, the minions are part of the comedy in that. They're not the not only that. thing. I don't know. I haven't seen any of those. So. Uh, how many Fox News vans do we see because of Far Cry 5? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, did you see uh, – apparently also Fox News is mad that Wonder Woman is not American enough. Yes, she's not wearing the American outfit. I'm like, oh my god, Wonder Woman is from an island full of Amazons who worship Zeus. She needs to be American, damn it. Uh, I think the Far Cry 5 thing is goddamn hilarious. (laughs) That is... All right, let me put it this way. Uh, If this was an an Ubisoft that had not released Watch Dogs 2, I would think that this was pure cash-in. They're not going to say anything with it. And odds are good they will not say anything substantive, but I know the the main media likes to pan Watch Dogs too. That's the best Ubisoft game that's been released in like a decade, because that game had something to say. Yeah, that game had something to say. It did not heavily focus on shooting. You could shoot your way through it, but that game was all about hacking. It was like the cheesy like '90s hackers vibe. It was incredibly diverse. It had a ton of different like the lineup of people, and it was so interesting. It had it had an actual conversation about like being a person of color in tech. That I was like, wait, did they just actually have that conversation in a AAA Ubisoft game? Um, that game was critically mistreated by the media, uh, and I wouldn't. Norm- I, I'm very much hesitant to be like the media looked at this wrong, but I think I don't know. Maybe it was the people who reviewed it. Maybe it was the audience. I don't know. But Watch Dogs Two had a lot of interesting stuff to say outside of its main narrative, where you fight a tech bro with a man bun. But like the character, <laughs> the character, the, char- the character stories in that, and the way that they represented the Bay Area, which I live here now, was really good. And like I like, there were so many like legitimately well written characters. Which coming from Watch Dogs One, which was broody white dude angry with sunglasses shoots people and hacks their cars, I'm just like that was the most bland setting. And now you have this colorful, like goofy game. So maybe Far Cry Five will say something about its setting i don't know but maybe i i i have no clue i i mm, i'm just looking forward to the fireworks it it took about as long as i expected before major you know news corporations were bringing up far cry 5 and i love them you feel like it's just gonna sort of fall fall by the wayside i feel like they're gonna lose interest in like an hour well, yeah, because video game releases take so long, so you right. can't, you can't keep up hype over something this controversial for six months. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. And there's also the fact that as much as we want video games to really challenge and tell these very interesting stories, very few have been willing to go in that direction. And it's awesome to hear that Watch Dogs Two did that. I looked and I was looking to see if you owned Watch Dogs Two, Stephen, on Steam, and you don't, which made me no. I, I uh, Miyoko bought it for me for Valentine's Day on PS4. God damn I wanted it for a while. It uh, you know, it has some open world like bloat in terms of like there are a lot of tasks you can do. But many of them are fun, and the main missions are great. Like, there's a, it's, it's funny, and, like, it's 
all the characters are really interesting. I think I think it's a great game. I'm just so open world gamed out right now. I mean, and I'm no, I I really am. I swear to you, I am too. And I I was like, wow, this is fun. And I, like I, I I was very happy to see Red Dead was delayed. Actually, I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm. I first off, in other news, the sun came up this morning. Like Red Dead Two got delayed. Like duh. I, I don't. I I was like, really? It took them that long to announce the delay? Like. Of course it was delayed. Uh, but then they showed screenshots and that game looks amazing. And I can only hope that that is better than Grand Theft Auto V because I seem to be the one person in the world that didn't like Grand Theft Auto V. No, all. I didn't like it either. But I, I find yeah. I find Rockstar's portrayal of like masculinity and that like crime culture to be just sort of repugnant. So I did you like Red Dead? Because I felt like they didn't do that with Red Dead. Like I, I, hardly I at all. I did like Red Dead, but I had different tastes then. So I don't know how I'd feel if I played it now. I, it's a, I yeah. like I like the old west as a setting and like I think maybe it's feasible that they could pull it off but I'm just not into that like I don't know I, I don't find beating sex workers to death to be hilarious anymore that's, no, that's it, the bottom line it's not it, funny it, to me anymore and, and I, I don't just, find mocking yeah. trans people as a joke anymore like I, I you know I'm I'm not 14 anymore and I was I think, a terrible 14 year old so I don't know but, well, I think I think there are interesting stories to tell in those spaces. It sounds like Watchdog Two is doing that, but it just that juvenile sense of Grand Theft Auto humor that I really used to like that works in Saints Row because it's so over the top. It's so goddamn crazy, and Grand Theft Auto needs to either grow up or it needs to embrace the crazy and stop doing this middle ground. Like we want to tell this, you know, story about a guy who who sold people. And also big titties. Like, you oh, know, like, I, you, yeah, like you can't I, have both. Like, I just, I am so over that this man has to fight with his masculinity to go back for that one job where he learns what it is to be a man because men do this and man. And it, I'm just like, oh, I don't care. Oh my God, I saw Scarface, okay? Yeah, also, he was a terrible. Oh, that, that was what I was thinking about the other day while I was watching uh, House of Cards was like, I like watching House of Cards because of how like dystopian it is about politics. And then I'll see somebody on Facebook being like, I would vote for Frank Underwood. And I'm like, you really don't get the point of this show. He is a horrible human being. You are we supposed did vote to for Frank Underwood. Well, uh, mm... no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. I, uh, but, right. But, I ca- video games anyway. But like, I think that you can have stories about morally repugnant characters, but unfortunately a lot of audiences don't get that it's kind of like how remember when i told you like people were laughing at logan and i was like uh no i i agree with you completely i make this argument a lot breaking bad i think is a phenomenal show i did not want to watch it because i'm like i don't want to watch this guy who has this like toxic concept conception of what it is to be a man but then you watch it and the show is more of a critique of that sort of toxic like i'm the man and i have to be the provider and i have to have this alphaness about myself like the show is a pretty firm critique of that. And I feel like, like Scarface, which is also a critique of that sort yes, of hubris. He dies people, at people the end, are like, people. People are like, yeah, Tony Montana, I freaking, I got the coke and the shotgun. And uh, and like, they're like, yeah, Walter, I mean, I want to take control of my life like Walter. And I'm like, what, and ruin everyone else's? Like, like I feel like that is, Grand Theft Auto is the, the look at that that looked at Walter and said, this is somebody we think is cool and want to tell a story about. Yeah. And I think the Sopranos did a really good job of, of 
walking that line and it's good to hear breaking bad was that way house of cards hasn't gotten to the ultimate downfall of frank underwood so i can't speak to whether or not that's where it's going to go it always seems like that's where it's going to go but like those are interesting stories i mean people forget that tony montana you know kills his sister at one point in that movie like that's not like yeah that's supposed to be like holy shit his life is over like this dude's a horrible human being and those are interesting that that gets back to what you were talking about with joel in the last of us you know like that ending in the last of us is like no you are playing a very damaged human being and that's yeah, actually like, a very interesting story to tell well and it, it it plays with this sort of expectation you have of like you're playing as the hero or you're playing as the character who's helping the good person like you're helping ellie like, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a good thing, but, like, he says it the whole time, and he's not lying. Joel is a bad guy. He's, he is a damaged person who does, the, he does not do the right thing. And, yep. like, that's why the end of that is so good and why I'm very excited for two, but I'm glad that they are making Ellie the focus now and not going back to being yeah. like, Joel. Um, that's a smart idea. Like, Angry Ellie is a much more interesting story to me than, let's see what happened when Joel lied to Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to give everybody one last prediction slash desire for E3, however you want to do it, and then we'll wrap it up because I know this episode's going a little long and I need to go get ready for hockey. Hockey. Okay. Hockey. Man stuff. What a man. Uh, man. I don't know. This is less of an E3 prediction in general because I, I we're going to get them, period. There's no way around it. But um, I'm just, I'm not really into the idea of a lot of Persona 5 spinoffs. I just, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think that they, you know, Persona 4 was kind of beaten to death as far as I'm concerned. And I really enjoyed, um, I enjoyed Persona 4 Golden so much, still one of my all-time most favorite games. And the spinoffs have all basically been fun games. I just think that they really ruined the characterization and drove the story into the ground. So while I think Persona 5 spinoff games can and will be fun, and I will likely play all of them, uh, like especially a Persona Q2, which was rumored, like I don't want that at all. I don't want a reason to dislike the Persona 5 cast. Um, <laughs> I still need so to I, Persona 5. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. I just, I, uh, spoilers. Oops. So this is, it's, I actually, you know, I, I'm sorry for making that so negative. I'm just, uh, I'm oh, hoping it's no. not like Persona 5, all the, all the spinoffs that you always wanted. Like, did I want that though? No, I think that's a very reasonable expectation, a very reasonable understanding. Like, I wouldn't want to see a strategy role-playing game of Bloodborne. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to see Bloodborne dancing all night. Oh uh, all right, yeah. I, I might have to disagree with you on that last yeah, one. The, yeah, watch, <laughs> if, you got, if you got the Bloodstarved Beast dancing, that might be interesting. I would really like to see uh, whatever the Shin Megami Tensei is on Switch. I hope it's not just an up port of 4 and Apocalypse together, which is kind of what I think it might be at first, uh, but I would love to see like a trailer for Shin Megami Tensei 5. Yes, I think uh, all I really want is to see, I'm, if I'm going to make a positive desire, I just want to see good RPGs. I want more RPGs, I want good RPGs. And Digital Devil Saga Remastered. We're there to see him, so I hope, yeah, I would love that, actually. Better uh, Dungeons. Better Dungeons. <laughs> that. So. Um... I have, uh, I'll go right back to my beginning. My, my one prediction that I think is a pretty sure bet, and I hope I get to play at the show, Smash 4 on Switch. I desperately want it. It is my most gonna, wanted you're thing. Gonna, you're going to play it. It's going to be there. Um, my, my, my hope um, is that from Square Enix, we get a new Theater Rhythm game. Um, I, Ooh, I, obviously, I obviously would like the Kingdom Hearts one. I think nope. it's ripe for it. 
Nope. Uh, I would love like All Star Carnival, which is the arcade one, yeah, uh, to come to Switch with a full a full spate of songs. I, I I'm ready for another theater rhythm in my life on a game on a console that doesn't have a horrible screen. Um, I love theater rhythm curtain call, and I think you know you release that with all the DLC on Switch or something. I'm on board, and that made me think of one other one. Um, we're definitely going to get it. I would love the announcement of the console version of Dissidia Arcade. Um, I played that in Japan. It's great. It's it's a better fighting game than the first Dissidia because it's it's there there are there really aren't any RPG elements to it. Um, I would love a console version with a, a PSP Dissidia style yeah. campaign. That's another um, one I forgot about. I would love to see that. Yeah, uh, they and they've been updating it. You know, they update it every month or two in Japan with new fighters. It's got Kuja now, so it has the two characters I want: Zaiden and Kuja. The music is great, most of it. Uh, it's got Ramza in it with two cool costumes. Um, it's a three-on-three fighting game. It's well suited to PS4. I I want to be able to play it and not be at an arcade in Japan, breathing smoke and you know, not here. <laughs> Could I interest you in a theater rhythm Chrono game? No, because I think Chrono got a bunch of music in the existing Curtain Call. Oh, okay. And I, I don't think it's a, a ripe enough series for it because it only has two games. I feel like if we're going to get a theater rhythm, it's Dragon Quest Final Fantasy with like all the weird spinoffs and like Saga and stuff. And then I, the only series they didn't dump into Curtain Call was Dragon Quest, obviously because it's a different series, and Kingdom Hearts because I think they're saving Kingdom Hearts because there are nine... Eight, nine, nine Kingdom Hearts games full of music. Jesus Christ. Um, At least the music's good. I can give you that. At least the and the demo, the demo of 3, or 2.8, whatever the hell it was called in the most recent collection, showed that the engine works well for 3, so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, the City of Theater Rhythm and Smash. I'd say I, we talked about it briefly. Uh, I would really like to see the Resident Evil remake. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, Resident Evil too. 2. I want to see the Resident Evil 2 remake. Resident Evil 2 is one of those games that I really liked it as a kid, and the more I play it, I play it like once a year almost, and that game I think has aged the best out of every Resident Evil game. Uh, I I actually, I agree with you with the caveat that I think 3 has also aged very well because 3 has a lot of... 3 kicks my ass. (laughs) 3 really kicks my ass. That's the thing. I want them to take take the Nemesis component and the being chase component of seven and work that into two for the second scenario. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, I would, I, I don't know which way I want to see it. If I want to see it in the resident evil seven style or the traditional, uh, third person resident evil style. But I just, I, I really feel like Capcom might have figured it out with resident evil. I say that knocking on every piece of wood in my office right now, but like, I, I they, really they delayed the that. DLC. They did delay the DLC because apparently that they were doing that outside of the studio and they were really not happy with it. Well, and I, I that's think after, good. Yeah, I think after six and after SF Street Fighter Five, I think they have figured out that like you can't just bank on your on your label. Like yeah. you need to like you need to keep quality content coming out, not just content. I was also happy to see them not really upset over the Resident Evil Seven sales numbers. This is something that I I think. I think the industry needs to do a better job of seeing this. Like the sales of your current game are usually based off of the reception of the last game and resident evil six sold like hotcakes because people really liked resident evil five because people really liked resident evil four and resident evil six was dog shit. Like it, it was terrible. It was atrocious. There there's there, there are better games. They're called dead space. They're way better than that piece of trash. Are we allowed to drop 
curses now on this podcast? I, I'm allowed to say shit when it's referring to Resident Evil 6. Uh, but like... Oh, I see. <laughs> yes, that that's the new rule. Uh, and when we talk about minions, Derek's allowed to curse a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but like Resident Evil 7 had an uphill battle. like, And so I, I really hope that game ends up having a very long tail. And I think it will. I think it will have a very, very long tail. People, even people that had not played a Resident Evil game in a long time, they picked it up and they went, wow, this is actually really good. I'd love to see the next Resident Evil, the next proper Resident Evil game be bigger than 7. I think the mansion in 7 is maybe a little small. But again, that's something to hope for. It is really good, but it's a little small. But I know, but you know, every single I know. I'd also like slightly better enemies. I know we disagree on the... the. Uh, I mean, the, they could be better. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think they were bad, but they could be better. Yeah, they could be a little better. Uh, but I, I'm really happy to see that survival horror genre back. I, I would imagine we see the evil within two at Bethesda, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of it. I think we're probably just going to see a CG trailer. I think, I think that's the game mm. that's probably going to come out next spring, and we're going to see the CG trailer. I kind of want to see what they do with that, because I think the fundamentals of the evil within were decent. It was the level design. Once again, it was the level design and pacing that was that game's biggest problem because the levels that were well-designed were awesome. That opening village area is fantastic I, in that game. I agree with the caveat that I actually don't think the mechanics would work now. They're pretty sloppy. In yeah, the they, it's definitely sloppy. It needs to be way tighter. They they went for that like Dead Space 1 style. Like Isaac is a little bad to control, but like they took it to a really far extreme. Whereas when you play Dead Space 2, I mean, Isaac is a shooter character. And that's fine because that game's more of a shooter. But yeah, they do need to make Sebastian stop on a dime and not flail his arms wildly. Like, I, I want that game to be good. I, I, I really do. I love Japanese horror. I love how surreal it can get. Um, let's see. Let's see. I think Bethesda is going to be interesting. We'll see the new Wolfenstein. And Wolfenstein: The New Order was way better than it had any right to be. So, there you go. Right. Yeah, that was right, a solid game. Sure. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, my... Wolfenstein New Order had some solid writing. Oh, like surprisingly, uh, non sequitur. Uh, my phone—I didn't answer just now. My phone just rang, and uh, weirdly enough, it was actually Greg, our friend Greg, Greg D, oh! who listened to the show. Hey! Uh, told him that you were on here, Stephen. So uh, he says hello. Hi, Greg. <laughs> you too could call me in the middle of a podcast and get a weird clandestine shout out. Derek, I—I I mean it. Give Wolfenstein the New Order a chance. It's way better than it has any right to be. I, I, I mean that. I really do. You can get it for like 10 bucks. You can get it for like 10 bucks. It's worth it. Yeah, but there's too many games. Steven, help me here. Help me here. At I least tell him it's... I mean, it's solid, but I don't know that it's up there. I mean, I believe you. And it's also just like there are too many games that are cheap. That's true. That's and true. And fantastic and long. And Well, here's the deal. So for E3, uh, we... we Screwed up last year, and we realized it as we were in the middle of doing it on that Thursday night. Uh, the plan is we're going to record our podcast where we do the whole E3 wrap-up, and we talk about all the games we've seen. And we're also hoping that we can record our session as we come up with the awards for E3, because that turned into a lot of fun last year. The discussion between Breath of the Wild and Persona 5 got pretty heated and it was actually a lot of fun uh we we had a an awesome moment where we came up with the final fantasy 14 outstanding achievement award for a video game named final fantasy 14 uh 
that 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 is still one of the Which best things. Which handily earned. Yeah. Yes, it did. Oh yes. We all, I, I mean, I wasn't even there, and I have to imagine it was a, it was not. We, we also came up with all the alternate titles for God of War, including including uh, Kramer versus Kratos, which I was very proud of. Uh, <laughs> Dad, Dad of War, War obviously. Yeah. Uh, the last of the Dad of Wars. Uh, it, it, we're going to have some fun. We're really looking forward to recording that podcast should every piece of technology work for us. And we will hopefully have that up for you very quickly after the show. So... Uh, if you want to send us any questions that you might have, anything that you're interested in, we'll be checking the message boards and we'll be checking the emails while we're recording that. Uh, plan is to record that Thursday night when we're all slightly inebriated and recovering from the show. I'm catching a red eye out Friday night. I did this proper so I can just kind of relax for a little bit on Friday. Yep. I'm not, not like running away very quickly. How, how long do you guys have the Airbnb, Stephen? I might come crash with you guys for a little bit. Until uh, Friday. Okay, cool. I might come crash with you guys. Uh, I gotta get home and play Stormblood after this show, guys. I don't know. Oh, you. boy. Yeah. Here we go. I, I, I have to finish the last few quests. I did the wall dungeon. I need to do the last few nice. quests. Nice. You're basically there, yeah. Well, for Derek and Steven and the entire RPG fan crew that will be at E3, we will see you guys later. See ya. Bye. Thanks for letting me come on the show again. You're never allowed to come back if you ever talk about Kingdom Hearts again. Well, I had a good run.